It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Recorded live. So, for whatever reason, I uh, wasn't able to get our normal setup to do what it's supposed to do the way it's supposed to do it. Not sure why that is. So, we are finding ourselves hopping over to the uh, slightly different uh, situation where we have a you know, the well, usually it's a Saturday show call-in information, so I'm going to tweet that out to everybody, and uh, Jim should probably be joining me momentarily. But uh, I don't know. Who knows what it's about? Um, but be that as it may, we are going to still uh, talk about the SEC. Uh, some people seem to almost act as there's no other no other conferences, uh, but there are other conferences, and obviously another conference just lifted the uh, the crystal football. So I won't say parity is upon us, but still here we are in this you know somewhat brave, somewhat new world where. You know, it's been proven that you can you can win the conference, you can win the the whole thing from you know a conference other than you know the uh, the holy grail of uh, SEC football. But yes, here we are, and this is a make or break year for some of the programs. Quite frankly, uh, there's some coaches who will probably be looking for another place to work if this year doesn't work out for them, uh, almost undoubtedly. Additionally, we're at a situation, you know, where the team is currently, uh, where the sorry, where the conference is currently, where every year the, the goal of everybody who's not Alabama is to draw closer to Alabama. And every year we hear that uh, they're getting there. They're almost there. They're practically there. And maybe they're there. Who knows? You know, who knows if they can get there. But if, for some reason... Alabama does what Alabama usually does and wins the conference and, you know, proceeds to continue to sort of roll through winning with, you know, sort of boring um, regularity and doing what they do the way they seem to do it. If that continues the way it's continued low these many years, certainly won't be a surprise to anybody. I don't think anybody will be shocked, but 
here we are. We will soon see if Florida or I mean, Ellen Miss has sort of, you know, probably lost their window of opportunity. Mississippi State? Question mark? Exclamation point? Um, of course, some of the other sort of usual suspects can narrow the gap. Now, Arkansas always makes a lot of noise. Uh, they do some sort of, you know, winning the offseason kind of stuff. They play a lot of talk and posturing. He might have the best quarterback in the conference, and that's something we'll be discussing. Quarterbacking is still sort of a secret shame of the SEC for all the talk of being a great dominant conference. I mean, there's Cam Newton holding the, the you know the SEC flag rather high, having played at two separate SEC schools in his career, as well as of course spending a year at a junior college. So. There's a certain amount of reason for, uh, you know, pride if he is your current flag bearer and he's a, a top-tier NFL quarterback. But once you get past him, you know, there's a bit of a drop-off, obviously, in terms of quarterback play in the SEC. It's, uh, there's not a lot of, of truly, truly, truly great quarterback prospects, and that's one of the things we'll discuss. I don't know what our issue was before. I don't know what was messing up. I, I kept seeing people, but I couldn't for some reason start the show on a normal platform, so hopped over to where we used to do a Saturday show, and this used to be acting normally, so I don't, I don't know what that was about. How's everything going? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. Okay, excellent. Ex- good. Glad to hear it. Uh, you grew up in SEC country. I grew up in ACC country, and we heard all the basketball conference stuff that would come from SEC folks uh, when we were, you know, trying to play football and, you know, try not to embarrass ourselves and, you know, conduct ourselves as gentlemen and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the SEC would come swaggering into town, pushing people around, uh, grabbing apples off the apple cart and, you know, making people flinch and trip over their feet and laughing, that kind of thing. Now, you obviously still have a lot of connections to people who've grown up with the SEC being the bully of the block. Is there any sort of change in that status simply because an ACC team won the uh, the national championship over over Alabama, and of course, even the year before that, gave Alabama everything it wanted and more, or or is that sort of treated as an anomaly and you know back to business as usual? Dep- depends on who you talk to. Because uh, in SEC country, you literally have people who say that they should fire Saban because he lost the national championship, forgetting all <laughs> the other things he's accomplished. You know, not the other national championships he's won, uh, not the other wins he's won, not the fact that he took an Alabama program that was pretty much in the ditch uh, for a good bit of time uh, and then, you know, brought it back to sort of its, you know, glory, if you will. Uh, but yeah, I I would say that the difference in the SEC is that people have this mindset, uh, you know, when the SEC was playing teams, and you know, like when LSU was playing Ohio State, or when Florida was playing Ohio State, or like any of those sort of situations, maybe not. But yeah, when, you basically had a situation where you had the SEC playing a Big Ten conference team or some other team, and they just looked a lot faster because they were faster. 
Uh, and then you just had the sort of mentality of, well, the SEC, obviously, you know, in the SEC, you know, they eat a lot of meat and, you know, dairy, and they're bigger than you, they're faster, you know, stuff like that. Um, and it's very much a, a, a sort of, uh, you know, we're better than you. Like, we may not be the smartest, but we can kick your ass in football, that type of thing. Um Type of attitude with the SEC. You know, there's a lot of supremacy issues in the South, though, so to speak, is all I'm trying to say. Yes. Uh, yes. There we go. That's a nice blanket statement that covers a lot of things. Pretty much. Uh, so, yeah, I I would say the SEC right now is pretty much the same as it's always been. Um, I don't think that there's, like, an athletic advantage to being from the SEC, and that's only because teams have become much more international in terms of their approach to recruiting, you know, how state has guys from Florida and guys from Texas and even, you know, guys from uh, Alabama and Alabama has guys from Hawaii, you know, that they're recruiting, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying? So like um, the whole sort of idea that, well, the SEC is, you know, they have the best athletes, they have the best, they have the best that I wouldn't necessarily say that's the case anymore just because of the way recruiting is now. But it's still a good conference. I just don't think it's the best conference. You know, oh, like wow. I, I'm just, I, I, I've, as the big 10 has gotten better, you know, there was a point when the big 16 or whatever you want to call them, uh, the big 18, maybe, um, eventually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, there was a point when that big 10 was, didn't, didn't really look good, but then you add guys like Jim Harbaugh and then you get over Meyer and, you know, well, before Harbaugh, uh, and then, of course, you add, uh, you know, P.J. Fleck is going to be there, too, now. So, like, all the really great coaches are going to the Big Ten, uh, while the SEC is basically – the issue with the SEC, too, is there's not a lot of growth in coaches only because you have to beat Saban, which is really hard to do, and then you just kind of lose your job. It's kind of like being a coach in the AFC East, you know, where you play New England, you know, nonstop. Um <laughs> You know, well, you're playing Belichick. Like it, all the way to the point of, I mean, he's basically Belichick. I mean, in terms of coaching yeah. philosophy, coaching approach. Coaching, coaching philosophy, coaching approach. <laughs> every team what that he looks, what he likes to him, they hire his what assistants. He, I mean, they I, hire his assistants to try to beat him because they think, hey, we'll hire his assistant. So, Georgia, right? Um, right, you right. Know. And they're well, the only ones. I mean, when now? Before yeah. you know yeah, it, he'll have seven head coaches in the conference that came off of his coaching for you the next couple of years, probably. Pretty much. Yeah. And, you know, Saban is, you know, Saban, Saban. Um, personally, as a per, I'm not, I don't know. I don't know how to put it. I, Saban as a coach is fine in terms of his accomplishments. Like, I'm not denying his of accomplishments. Course. I just don't think I mean, that he cares about – I just don't think he cares about his players as much as he should, um, which may – I think he has a way of caring about them that actually is very much like an NFL coach. Yeah, I guess. I just have the mentality of he he really pushes his players to the limit to the point where he oh, has yeah. degenerative knee conditions uh, oh, and then – but you still get drafted in the second round because, you know, go figure NFL, right? So, but yeah, I, 
don't know. I just feel like he pushes his players to the very limits of everything. Uh, and, and it's yeah. just, to me, I just feel like, you know, these are human beings and sometimes you can push a guy too far. Maybe I'm soft. I don't know. You know, I'm not the saving, if you will, but I just feel like he, uh, you know, if you're, if you're playing for saving, you're pretty much guaranteed to have multiple uh, injuries yeah. uh, on top of injuries, on top of injuries. You know, it's like uh, it's like Jonathan Allen, you know, having, uh, you know, soldier, you know, shoulder kind of injuries, you know. It's like, well, he, duh, of course he's going to have <laughs> shoulder injuries. You're playing for saving. Like, you're just bound to have something <laughs> wrong with right. you um, for the rest of your life. So, um, you're just lucky enough. If, you, if you're lucky, which most of them are, you know, because if you think about it, if you're with Saban for four years, you're at least going to win one national championship. I mean, I might Correct. have to do the math on that again, but. I think you're pretty much guaranteed to have at least one in a four-year span. I think you know? that almost every player that he's had in the program who stays for four years has at least a ring. I think, I think you're 100% correct since he's been the yeah, head coach. Exactly. Uh, I don't think there's a <laughs> so single four-year player who doesn't have one. Exactly. So that's, that's, the, pay, that's the payoff. You know, that's, that's what you get in return for selling your soul uh, type of situation. But um, – yeah, I mean, I, I'll, I'll, I'll in a way, in yeah, a way, Jim, isn't he like a microcosm of the entire Faustian bargain that is big time college football? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just, I don't get into the whole thing. Is college football actually college football, or is it a money making scheme to make a bunch of money off of people? You know, yeah. But I you don't have to choose. It can be both. It can be both. Uh, I just feel like, just the SEC in general, like I'm not denying that Alabama is a really good program, you know, but like I can, it's kind of like this too. I can say that the Patriots are a great football team, but that doesn't mean that the AFC East is a great football conference, you know, like, if that makes, like the Patriots are great. The Jets are terrible. The Dolphins have been terrible. You know, the Buffalo Bills have been terrible. And that's kind of like the SEC. Alabama's been great. Tennessee, eh, not so much. Uh, you know, Arkansas, eh, they've been okay. Uh, Texas A&M, they were going to be good, and then they weren't good. Uh, Mississippi State, they were good for a minute, and then not so good. And, you know, Missouri was good for a minute, and not so good. So, like, I just, when I view the SEC, I do respect the fact that there are good programs there that have good football teams. I just don't see as someone who does believe sort of in coaching, you know, having great coaches and having great programs, I don't see the coaches in the SEC like I do in the Big Ten and, and even the ACC even, you know, in terms of the coaches that they have there. Um, so I guess that's just my whole thing. I haven't even got to Malzahn because Malzahn was a thing and then, it, you know, now here we are, you know, like two years ago Malzahn was like the next Chip Kelly and then now he's Maybe he gets fired. Who knows? I don't know what happens this year. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the SEC is is just a program. You know, just a it's a conference in which there's a lot of hype, a lot of sort of oh we're the best, we're the best. When it's just to me, it's like any other Power Five conference. There's not really an advantage to being from the SEC, other than bragging rights, which you don't have anymore too because Clemson won the national championship. 
don't know. It's a weird place to be. Yeah, it's when a it comes weird to place to be, especially if you're Vanderbilt or somebody, one of those teams that, I mean, what's the path? You know, if you're Vanderbilt, like you have to figure out what, peace with honor? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like what do you, what is the thing you want to accomplish if you're Vanderbilt? What is the thing you want to accomplish if you're, um, well, I mean, I almost want to say, almost want to say South Carolina. Yeah, um, South Carolina, yeah. <laughs> I mean, no offense. I mean, there was a time when South Carolina was a, you know, very, very, very good team. And at one point, even odds-on favorites at one point to win the East. But those days, have, things happen fast. You know, those days yeah. are very much gone to them, at least in the yeah. immediate future. I got to figure out what these, if you're not LSU and you're not Alabama, and you're not Florida, mm-hmm. and you're not Georgia, mm-hmm. Jim, what are your goals? I mean, what are your, leg- your legitimate goals at that point in the conference? To be in Missouri, maybe? You know? I mean, Missouri was good for a minute. They were in the SEC championship game at one point. Uh, yeah, I mean, but I guess your goal is to just get lucky. Yeah, right. I guess your goal is to just get lucky with recruiting. Uh, you, you know, or maybe not recruiting. As a data guy, it amazes me. Again, I, I know I, I probably keep saying this to everybody, but it amazes me that all these big-time college programs are in these conferences like the SEC think that they're going to beat Alabama by playing by Alabama's rules. You know, yes, like, you're not going to gonna, beat Alabama. We're going, to be a, we're going to build a bully. I'm going to get a yeah. bunch of 360-pounders on my offensive and defensive line, and we're going to – Brett Bielema says himself, here's the problem. We're not big enough. we got to get bigger. Yeah, we had a 6'9 guy. Let's get a 6'10 guy. 6'11. 6'9 is good. 6'11 has got to be better. Yeah. And you also have to, but I'm just I'm saying you have teams like Tennessee that did that did the keeping up with the Joneses strategy of like oh let's get all these high school recruits and if we have a higher number than everybody else and you know ESPN says that we have the top recruiting class then that means that we'll probably be Bama you know like that seems to be the mentality with some of these teams. Ole Miss, same sort of mentality. Oh, let's kill it recruiting, getting all the top high school recruits, and then bam, we'll be back on top. That hasn't really worked out, you know, in, in terms of what they're trying. Like uh, like you said, Ole Miss is kind of in a what do we do now kind of, uh, you know, sort of uh, mentality, you know. Um, so like you in the arms race where the other – power, the other superpower, like you just came out of the bronze age, you know what I mean? <laughs> but you're going to get an arms race instead of the date that's come out of the nuclear age. But we're going to beat them. Yeah, it, it just doesn't make any sense, uh, you know, with a lot of what these teams um, sort of do. Like at LSU, for example, you know, for some reason, Bill, I'm not even joking. A month ago, I thought Tom Herman was the coach at LSU. Nope, he's at Texas. <laughs> you know, so um, so yeah, they can't even get that. They can't even win that. So uh, I just I just think the the conference as a, as a, as a whole, 
I mean, yeah, they're they're keeping up with the Joneses, they're keeping up with the Sabins, uh, if you will. But that doesn't actually win, you know, because a lot of what makes Saban Saban, it's like anything else. A lot of what makes Saban Saban is sure recruiting, recruiting's fine, but it's getting people around you, uh, you know, great coaching staff, being a great coach yourself. You know, it's like the whole organizational aspect of of things, you know, the whole logistics of things, Um, the scouting aspects of things in terms of knowing more about your opponent than your opponent knows kind of mentality. Um, uh, Almost to the point where you finish, you beat a team and they go, wow, you guys cheated. You knew every play that we were going to play when it's like, no, we didn't cheat. You know, we're not cheating. We scouted you, you know, that's all we did. (laughs) You know, Um, we just were a lot better at scouting you than everybody else for whatever reason because we put in the time, work, all that kind of stuff. Um, but, yeah, I just – I don't know about a lot of these teams is all I'm trying to say because I, I think their approaches to recruiting and particularly at the quarterback position because it seems like in the SEC, if you get a good quarterback, you're likely to have a pretty good – like you're going to get to the SEC championship game. You're going to do things if you actually have a good uh, quarterback. If you have a good running back, it doesn't really do much for you that I mean LSU maybe comes to mind, but I mean Leonard Fournette isn't taking you to the to the championship game, um, you know. And every time Alabama was able to do what they did, even when they uh, had, they never really had terrible quarterbacks. They had at least good quarterback play um, for the most part. And whenever they struggled, when they were kind of wishy-washy, I guess. So I guess all I'm saying is, is the SEC in general it a lot of what divides a lot of these teams is just having a great quarterback or having quarterback that's above average. And continually these programs seem to recruit some of the worst quarterbacks ever. <laughs> like, you know, like, like in this draft class right now, um, people talk more about the PAC 12 quarterbacks than they do the SEC quarterbacks. And that seems to be a common theme over the last five years. It seems like, you know, in terms of quarterbacks and where you go find them, it isn't really an SEC. Hmm. Well, and we're dealing with the SEC. Let's take a shot at the aforementioned Vanderbilt, a place where a lot of coaching careers have gone, not always to die, witness James Franklin, but your career changes. Like the arc of your career is going to be changed by your time at Vanderbilt. You're either going to prove to people you can consistently win at Vanderbilt, which is getting seven or eight wins if you're at Vanderbilt. That is consistently winning at Vanderbilt. That might get you fired a lot of places, but at Vanderbilt, it gets you promoted. And off to another program. In the, once again, see Franklin, Common James. But it is a really tough crucible. There's only a handful of coaches that have coached at Vanderbilt with winning career records in their times at Vanderbilt. And I think I can name them all. <laughs> uh, there have been a few success stories. Obviously, once again, we keep bringing up James Franklin. There have been a couple, a couple in the past as well. But no one, which is why James Franklin didn't stick around, no one has managed to have sustained success with Vanderbilt ever. I mean, unless you want to go back to the 20s and 30s. But since, you know, post-World War II, no one's had sustained success with Vanderbilt. You know, uh, anyone who you and I know, with the exception of, I mean, my grandparents are long since gone, your grandparents may remember Vanderbilt being consistently a winning program. 
But even my parents, well, my father's gone, but my, my mother didn't play college, college football, but were they able to remember as, you know, young children watching or listening, I guess really in my father's case, uh, since his early sports memories are all radio, but the Vanderbilt hasn't been, hasn't had a sustained run of excellence in the lifetime of most of the people you or I know is what I'm driving at. And even its spurts, and that's the best way to put it, of success have generally been somewhere between three and five years in duration. If you manage to get three or five good years in under your belt at Vanderbilt, we usually have you leave to go someplace else, you generally. Uh, I, I can't remember the last time a coach either through success or failure, made it past the five-year mark at Manigault. That's something to look up. In fact, I'll probably be inspired by that, uh, to look it up and see when was the last time somebody coached six or more years at Manigault. It's been a while. I know that much. I know it wasn't recently. I, I can tell you that much. Uh, what does the future, and I guess really the present, in fact, look like at Vanderbilt, uh, particularly in terms of the kinds of athletes they have and they usually manage to have two or three pro prospects every year uh, to their to their credit, I suppose. Right. This year, hmm. I mean, Ralph Webb is like the main guy that comes to mind. Yeah, he's running back. He's he's one of the few guys who's going to be a a repeat um, member of my all their appreciated team. Despite what he's done, he never seems to get much appreciation. Yeah. And his only issue is that he's going to be older. You know, he's, he's going to be about 23 and a half when he finally comes out in the draft. Most running backs that – and this is just about high-quality outcomes. It's not about becoming a starter. It's just about being a pro bowl or all pro – you know, Adrian Peterson or whatever um, type of guy. Most of those guys were not that old. You know, and the only guy that really comes to mind who kind of had a really great career despite being that old was like Thomas Jones, and I don't really see Thomas Jones. Yeah, he was even older, he was even older than that. Was he twenty? Yeah, he was twenty-four. Yeah, yeah he's pretty pretty old. Pretty old he's guy. Still too, but... to have a really great career. And speaking of all underappreciated, I'm working yeah. now on an all-time all underappreciated team. I think Thomas Jones is he might not be first team, but he's going to be in there. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But, I mean, Ralph Webb has decent production. It's just the age sort of stuff kind of takes him out of high-quality outcomes, which, again, doesn't mean that he's a terrible football player or anything else like that. It just means that he's, you know. And besides that, there's tons of really good running backs in this class. So, yeah. Yeah. I guess what I'm trying to say is it's hard Everyone's to, Everyone's talking like, about Bo Scarborough who hasn't really done anything, while Ralph Webb well, is quietly. Bo Scarborough, <laughs> you know, he has really big biceps. You know, yeah, he's he's very large. He's I mean, Melvin he's Gordon-ish. Yeah, you know, only skips. Oh, I mean, I don't want to say on steroids, but a Melvin Gordon on larger, he's scaled up. He's you know, human right. growth hormone. <laughs> <No? laughs> well, um, okay. Like that, you know, you don't have to right. say well, steroids. He, he might not be on steroids. He might be on something different. But um, well, yeah. My point is, I mean, Melvin Gordon on seven at seven fifth scale, basically. Yeah. I mean, Bo Scarborough is really, you know, and we'll, we'll get to Bo Scarborough. Bo Scarborough is really just about what he looks like. With Ralph Webb, he kind of looks like scat back. 
But, I mean, he's good. He's a good player. He doesn't have the best offensive line ever. He still makes it work. That's kind of the admirable qualities of him. Uh, and then after him, Trent Sherfield is a good blocker in a wide receiver position. But that's really about that's it. That's a very Vanderbilt thing. That's been true of Vanderbilt receivers going back many years. Right. So he'll probably get good PFF grades or something like that. Um, as an actual <laughs> receiver, uh, it's a different sort of story. He just is, uh, I'm not going to say clueless, but um, he just kind of goes through the motion, very robotic in terms of his approach uh, as, a, as a wide receiver, uh, which could be just the fact that he's a wide receiver at Vanderbilt, you know. Um, but, yeah, other than those two guys, this is one of the situations where after I went through all the players at Vanderbilt, None of the guys on defense really stuck out that much in terms of production. Uh, the offensive lineman didn't really stick out in terms of, like, say, athleticism, stuff that was leaked early. Uh, quarterback and Kyle Shermer was terrible. Um, so, I, as far as prospects, I mean, like I said, I, I think Ralph Webb is decent. I think Sherfield is a good blocker, but he needs to prove a lot more to me in terms of as a receiver. And then the rest of Vanderbilt, including the quarterback, is just not good. So I worry about Vanderbilt because they don't have a very good quarterback. They don't really even have like an Austin Carter Samuel, even, you know, type of quarterback now. So I kind of worry about them because of that. Got it. Okay. And can we expect more than four victories, in your opinion? <laughs> or give me another one of those. More than four victories. Um, I don't know. I don't think so. Because my projection is four. Yeah, I would say yeah. That's probably best case scenario. Four wins, yeah. But um. Yeah, I don't. I don't see a lot of wins. So, yeah. All right then. It happens. And sticking with teams that may, you know, have trouble reaching 500, I'm going to stick with South Carolina, a program that, like I said, not long ago was one of those, you know, sexy dark horse. You know, could the Gamecocks win, Gamecocks win the SEC? Was one of those sort of things you would see on, you know, Lindy's SEC preview a few years back. Uh, clearly, you know, that did not happen, obviously, and it, it would be almost impossible for it to happen now. But do you think they might bounce back? Is is this the new normal for the Gamecocks? Uh, and of course, who are the who are the players that you expect to be? the most important and, of course, the most valuable when draft time rolls around. Right. Uh, I really don't know what to do with South Carolina, to be honest. It, it's a Will Muschamp team. I'm not the biggest fan of Will Muschamp. Um, but I think the team as a whole is really weird to project because of – one, the talent that's kind of there, 
they do have some emerging guys. I mean, I'm a fan of Brian Edwards at wide receiver there. Uh, he's a so- he's a true sophomore, but uh, he flashed a lot last year. I think Hayden Hurst at tight end was another guy who kind of um, looked decent in terms of what he was asked to do. Of course, Sky Moore is healthy now at the, I guess, edge safety position. I guess mm-hmm. is, is the or the linebacker position or you know uh, whatever you whatever you want to call it because he's safety size. I mean, there's no getting around it, but he's playing the linebacker position. So. Um, but who knows? Maybe he's much bigger now. I really don't know. But um, when he was actually playing, he was, you know, small. So, so yeah, so he, he kind of shows uh, some stuff. Jamarcus King has some decent data sort of stuff that kind of pops in terms of him. Uh, and then Jake Bentley has some fans, a lot of fans, but his high school production was pretty much like Jeff Driscoll. His high school production. So um, I wouldn't exactly. I mean, he could be like a maybe an above average quarterback potentially, but not necessarily someone that I think at the NFL level will be as impactful just based on past sort of players. So I think. Mm, I think South Carolina will probably do better if people stay healthy and the offense kind of grows a little more because they do have weapons on that offense. I mean, hey, Nurse and, and him. And it, I know there's also some Debo Samuel um, fan. I think he's an okay wide receiver. Yeah, a lot of Debo Samuel fans. There's people who have him in the top five of the wide receiver rankings, either. Well, when he produces like a top five wide receiver, then I might consider doing that, but he hasn't done that yet. The best wide receiver on that program, to me, Brian Edwards, who's not draft eligible, but to me, Brian (laughs) Edwards. Um, But Samuel, I mean, I'm not, again, I'm not saying he's a terrible wide receiver. I just think he's okay. But they do at least have offensive weapons. It's just a matter of, you know, Jake Bentley doing as much as Jake Bentley can do. And he did show some flashes here and there. But as far as yeah, the program a, goes, yeah, a bit of height. I was saying, surrounding Bentley is a bit of height, uh, sort of surrounding him going into the season. Yeah, because he, you know, he had a couple games in particular where he played well, uh, which I'm not denying, you know, him that. But he also had a lot of games where he didn't play well. Also, so people kind of block those games out in terms of him, <laughs> um, kind of. Uh, I'm not going to say Hackenberg-esque, but a little bit. Yeah, because Jake Bentley, uh, actually very similar to Hackenberg, because Jake Bentley had a 27.52 high school production score, which is not basically Josh Dobbs level. He could be Josh Dobbs-ish, you know, as a a quarterback, potentially. Um, He has a little bit of athleticism to him, not a lot, but some. Um, yeah, I just, I, you know, I, I think the program as a whole uh, is okay. They're not as fun as they were, um, you know, under the previous regime of uh, Spurrier. But I do think that they should. I mean, I think South Carolina definitely 
has the chance because of where they're located. Because again, you're basically recruiting similar players to what Clemson's recruiting. So like the opportunity is there to kind of be Clemson-ish in the SEC, I guess, but they just have never been able to take advantage of that opportunity. And a lot of the big time recruits they got, you know, they get, they got Jay Clowney and they just kind of squandered him a bit. You know, Jeremy Ginsburg, David Clowney. So, but, um, but yeah, I just, I, I don't really think the team would be I mean, they may get to six wins, maybe seven wins, you know, but I, I just don't see them as a team that, it's particularly on the rise yet till after this season to see what they do as far as development goes. Okay. So the old days of South Carolina having three or four guys going the first 106 seem to be over, but some still staying. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So they have something, what, two, maybe three legitimate draftable prospects. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, I mean, Sky Moore, I mm-hmm, think, right. is a legit – I don't know what he is, to be honest. <laughs> but, well, he plays that um, safety uh, – it was the position that you, you helped to sort of develop the edge safety boost, right? Is that what he is? Yeah. Yeah, I might have to <sighs> – Recoin it, I guess, but you know, the because uh, I don't even like, really like will linebacker because a lot of times they're they're playing like a strong linebacker position at the will linebacker at the yeah, they're playing like a strong linebacker position with a will linebacker body. Um, just in terms of like what I think of of a strong line, a strong side linebacker, what I think of isn't what I envision. Uh, that guy to be essentially a 220 yeah, right. pound guy who's rushing the passer, you know, yeah, essentially is what I'm correct. trying to say, uh, which, no, is, the, which is unique. Right. Well, the mental image I still have, though, these many years later, is Bill Roman out. When I literally, when someone says Sam linebacker, like imagine the strong side linebacker, that still pops in my head. Bill Roman out. That guy. <laughs> That's what I picture. And yeah. you're right. Sky Moore is clearly not that guy. <laughs> Yeah, but as a will linebacker, yeah, you know, um, I think he could do, do that. Uh, it's just a matter of what his actual size is and stuff like that. He's been productive. Uh, it's just, yes. you know, well, one, he had an injury, and, and two, it's just sort of a size sort of concern. And I'm not one of those people that goes, well, you know what, he's injured because of his size, because that's just ridiculous. I mean, Safety should be injured because of their size, but they're not. Cornerback should be. It's football, man. You know, like collisions happen. <laughs> a quarterback will every once in a while run into a 300-pound offensive lineman on occasion, uh, and they survive. So usually, sometimes. Um, so yeah, I, I I just think that that's kind of. I hate to sort of like, oh, well, he's small, so obviously he's injury prone. I think that's kind of dumb. Um, but yeah, but I mean, him, he's good. Hayden Hurst, like a, a tight end. Uh, he's a pretty decent sort of body control kind of, you know, with some speed type of tight end. Uh, and that's really about it. Most offensive linemen I saw on that team were just terrible. Um, when I when I remember uh, evaluating some of the guys that were draft <laughs> eligible. So they made they made some guys look really good. Is what I noticed. Yeah. They put 
they got they got featured in several players' highlight reels. You know, um, if you're Arden Key, you're thinking, you put stuff on this year, and you're looking on the schedule, you know, because you're thinking, oh man, if I take advantage of these guys, guys. it's gonna be a yeah. Yes, if I play those guys, they're gonna make some. Oh yeah, I mean, I I might have to bust out a spin move so they can have a gif of that too. They could do anything because. I mean, the biggest issue I saw was stiffness, just super-duper stiff, you know, and um, it's it's hard to get leverage when you're that stiff. It's hard to move around when you're that stiff, <laughs> you know. It's just, it's not good. These kind of tall, I mean, I remember one guy in particular, I forgot his name, but he was like 6'9", stiff as a board type of guy. Um, so, like, yeah, he has a big body. He's really tall, but... <laughs> He's really stiff too, so it's not a lot. You know, you're very limited. So, any kind of talk about that, but yeah, I mean, there's some, like I said, you know, like we we kind of lose. There's some prospects there. Uh, of course, Debo Samuel, I guess you can include in that. I get. I mean, I don't really have him as a top 25 receiver yet, anyway. But he is someone who um, shows some kind of flair to the position. So, but, uh, right. but yeah, I, I just don't see them as a if, – if the offense is, the offense can reach its potential, I think they could get to a bowl game. But I have my doubts. But if it does, I think that that's kind of the, like, upside to the team is that the offense actually does what I think it can do based on the, uh, the skill position players they have. Okay. So you're saying the over under is like five to seven wins, is what sounds like you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Five, seven. I mean, they, they could get four. Things really were bad, but I, I kind of doubt that. But, yeah, five, seven. And taking a look at, you know, once again, I, you know, I'm trying to sort of be, objective-ish, I guess, <laughs> regarding how things are likely to turn out. But you mentioned Missouri earlier, who had a, a nice little run. They were a great story. You know, when you first joined the, the SEC and people thought, oh, God, they're going to get smashed. They're too small. They're too slow. They're, you know, they're going to get pantsed, uh, you know, and all that good stuff. And they managed to contend almost immediately. And as you mentioned, made it to a championship game. They, they look like they belong. Then some stuff happened. <laughs> And their program is sort of in recovery mode, and Matty Mock, some things happened with him, and yep, drug transferred off. down to yeah, he transferred down to East Eastern Kentucky, where people you know for some reason predicted he was going to tear it up, and I predicted he wasn't going to win the starting job, and he did not, <laughs> as I predicted. Nope. Benny Coney <laughs> continued to be the starting quarterback in Eastern Kentucky. Thank you very much. So. I mean, not that I'm I'm pleased that Matty Mock did not do well, but I think people either underestimated Benny Connie or overestimated Matty Mock or both. But be that overestimated the SEC. Yeah, maybe that is. I mean, you can just count the countless numbers of SEC players that go down to that level of competition and do nothing, um, but still get invited to, you know, NFL. Stuff because hey he played at Tennessee at one point you know stuff like that but 
don't know, it drives, my, it drives my mind crazy when something like that happens. But, yeah, I mean, um, you know, Manny Mock has his own character stuff, but on on the field play, he wasn't that great, you know. I mean, he had Manziel-esque stuff in terms of throwing the football up, yellow balls, stuff like that. But that isn't great that isn't great quarterback play. I mean, that's just throwing yellow balls, you know, and having receivers that can come down with it. Uh, but yeah, right. So walking walking it forward to some extent, um, Missouri had a fair amount of turmoil. You know, some suspensions. They had stuff, right? They had the football team getting involved in. I think to their credit, uh, in some activist movements there on campus, making it known that they weren't just simply, you know, bodies for hire, which, as you mentioned, sometimes some guys sort of almost approach it as being a body for hire who goes to school enough to maintain eligibility until he's able to enter the NFL draft. It was exciting to see a number of Missouri's players embrace being part of the student body in a, in a way that often football players don't. But what is the outlook there in terms of, one, you know, the actual football outlook, and then, of course, players who have a chance to play at the next level at Missouri? Wow. Um, the out, the outlook is weird. <laughs> that's, that's all I can really – I mean, uh, it's the – the offense was just not really clicking. Drew Locke is definitely better than right. uh, the aforementioned Matty Mock. Uh, that's definitely something I'll give him credit for. But he's not exactly very good, you know, at least excellent. In, in terms of his quarterback play, um, it was very much below average uh, in college football in general. Um and then, of course, coming out of high school, his numbers were really that great either. So, I don't have a lot of hope for the quarterback position there. And usually, when I'm ha- when I don't have hope for the quarterback position, uh, I don't have hope in the team for whatever reason. Um, but I think defensively, I mean, a couple of players who kind of stuck out a bit on defense, uh, you know, Marcel Frazier is someone who showed flashes of stuff that hasn't really been able to put up a tremendously productive season, but he has shown some flashes. And on offense, the only guy that impressed me a bit was Alec uh, Ablin, who's the right guard there. Um, He's someone who I felt looked decent um, in terms of uh, just leverage and, and strength. He's not like a crazy finisher guy. Like if you're one of those people who just likes offensive linemen who, you know, pancake everybody and stuff like that, which seems to be <laughs> draft Twitter, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, if you're that type of offensive lineman, people love you. You know, if you're not that type of guy, people have mixed opinions of you um, if you're not that type of guy. He's not exactly that type of guy. He's not like a guy who's going to finish you and, you know, stuff like that. But I did feel like he had enough ability to maintain leverage. You know, again, it's just about maintaining leverage long enough so the running back gets his hole, and I felt like he did that decently. Um, The other offensive lineman they have on the team that 
has been getting more hype, and Tyler Howell is slow, stiff, big, long arms. I think the only reason why people really like him is, is because of the long arms and the body type. But as far as, like, athletic ability, he just looks really slow, really stiff, um, and just wasn't really that great because of that in leverage or pass protection and most of that stuff. Um, uh, I think at the wide receiver position, Jamon Moore was okay-ish. I mean, you know, like, he's okay. He's a typical SEC wide receiver. But as far as the outlook for the team, I don't know. I, I don't think they're going to be winning a lot of football games. Mainly because of the quarterback situation. But two, because I think uh, they're just a team that's just kind of in limbo in terms of a lot of different things. In terms of identity, you know, and it's such it's identity with everything, like you just mentioned, with a lot of the turmoil on the campus there. Um, a lot of people are trying to search for who they are, you know, not only as a football team, but as people. So it, it'd be kind of interesting, interesting to see how this all plays out, but I just don't really think the football team um, is going to win a lot of games, mainly because of the quarterback situation. So, any favorite prospects there in Missouri? Guys, did you think of a good shot? Oh, uh, Alec. Well, like Alec uh, Abelin, who's the guard okay. there. Right. And Marcel Frazier oh, yeah. for flashes mainly. Is he the one coming not... off of an injury? Yeah. Yeah, okay. he yeah. was. Um, I know you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. He he he's done with the injury, and then uh, and now he's going to be fully healthy this season. But um, but he was a guy who at least had some flashes of um, kind of stuff. And at Missouri, there's always this sort of well, he's the next man up kind of thing when it comes to pass rushers, you know, because they're trying to say, oh, we're pass rusher you kind of, you know, at least for the SEC, they've been sort of like that uh, to a certain extent, you know, with guys like. Uh, well, Charles Harris was recently, but of course they had um, Tony Ely, right? And uh, the Cardinals, that's for sure. Okay. And moving on, that brings us to the Wildcats of Kentucky, who had, I think, he was a surprise season. I think they were better than a lot of people expected them. To be, and they put themselves in a position now where uh, they've also reached sort of that crossroads. You, you know, coaches always say this: you have to get better or you get worse. You can't stay the same. So we'll talk about uh, Kentucky. Can they get better? Can they get worse? And of course, who are some of the best players on the team? And obviously, worst players on the team. But who are the ones that you, you know, in whom you have the greatest trust? Oh, uh, with uh, who? I was just saying, uh, we just, I was saying we can move on to the Wildcats of Kentucky. 
another oh, one yeah. of those places where they wear the whole basketball school curse, but you know, they have some signs of uh hope. So take me through, you know, what you see there. Right. Right. Um hmm. Interesting. Interesting. I think, you know, the the main players that I liked from them last year, Garrett Johnson, who's the wide receiver there, had a couple flashes here and there of pretty decent play. Uh, They have a pass rusher there in Denzel Ware who kind of showed off some flashes here and there too. And Jordan Jones, the linebacker there, uh, was probably – he was, well, actually, he was the most productive linebacker in the SEC um, last year. And uh, he's someone who was pretty much knows for the football kind of guy. Similar sort of size to Sky Moore, you know, being 220-ish pounds. Uh, but he was, uh, you know, probably one of the more productive guys. And then the safety there, Mike Edwards is another guy that um, uh, kind of showed a couple things here and there. Um, but, yeah, I, I think Kentucky is an interesting program. I don't really think they're on the rise on the rise, per se. I think they might get a little bit better. But what I do like about them is I, I, I did like how the defense was playing a little bit better uh, in terms of different positions. And then on offense, I liked the wide receiver position and the skill positions I felt were pretty uh, better, at least above average in the SEC. Um, so I think there's some positives to kind of point to when it comes to them. But just like everybody else, the quarterback position is still very much up in the air when it comes to, to them. Okay. And now, I mean, Kentucky is another team that produces a decent number of, of pro prospect types, Jim. Are, are there guy players that you think have a legitimate chance, and who and, and why, in terms of players that have a chance to play in the NFL? Well, NFL-wise, I mean, uh, uh, Denzel Ware, who is the pass rusher there, he's definitely – one of those guys I think has a shot. Uh, Jordan Jones is one of the most is is the most productive SEC linebacker, and I think that he has a pretty good chance if he, you know, kind of repeats what he did last year. Uh, and then of course Garrett Johnson is the wide receiver there. He was a guy who flashed. He didn't really do very well in terms of production, but he did flash a bit. Uh, when it came to – he was kind of Bug Howard-ish. He's not as big as Bug Howard, but he was very similar to him just in terms of after-the-catch ability. He kind of had some flashes here and there and his ability to kind of run after the catch and make people miss and uh, stuff like that. Interesting. So let's take a not terribly long trip uh, from – uh, from Kentucky and head across the border and back into Tennessee. We've dealt with one Tennessee school. Let's knock out the second one. Now, a lot of people will be angry that I sort of project 
the wild not the wildcat side, the volunteers into the middle of the pack in the SEC. And once again, I would I would embrace being wrong. I, I acknowledge people that hopes for these things, but it's simply what my opinion is, and you know I'm basing that on who the team has, who the team doesn't have. But take me through what you see when you look at this team. Well, they don't, you know they don't have Josh Dobbs anymore. Um, so so that's you know that's pretty much over, but. I I really don't know about Tennessee only because they've been this team that people hyped up a lot, mainly because of high school recruiting. You know, they were killing it and they had like a top five class and they were doing all this kind of stuff. But their players haven't been playing like a top five five class. It's been kind of their biggest sort of issue uh, for them. So um, I think, you know, Khalil McKenzie's there and Khalil McKenzie has, for the most part, had a lot of injuries. He hasn't really been healthy. Um, he is someone who did flash a bit, but hasn't really been the most productive guy there, mainly because of injuries. Todd Kelly Jr. at safety is someone who had some interesting sort of production profiles, uh, sort of things. Um, and on offense, I think the biggest sort of – I think the biggest sort of guy who popped on offense was – John Kelly at, at running back. Uh, he was a guy who was a fairly tough kind of break break tackle kind of guy, and I kind of liked him for those kind of qualities. Yeah, gotcha. How do you think the team plays out? Where do you think this team finishes? How they finish? Maybe six wins. You know, maybe, maybe seven, perhaps. Um, I just, I really don't know how the quarterback situation is going to do there. Um, you know, funny enough, Josh Dobbs was actually the fourth best quarterback of the SEC last year. Just think about that for a second, just based on stats. Um, so if, if Josh Dobbs is the fourth best quarterback, then what does that say about, you know, the other Sort of quarterback situation. So, like, you don't necessarily need to be amazing to be winning in the SEC at quarterback, but I just don't, I really don't. I, I think six wins is the likely case because I really don't see the talent on this team. Uh, every year we hype a wide receiver. Like, I think this year in particular, the wide receiver everybody's talking about is like, uh, uh, I think Juwan Jennings, you know, everybody's hyping up him, or Tyler Bird, people hype up him, but um, I just didn't see the hype, I guess. I don't know. Um, none of those guys really, other than being high high school, you know, high high school recruits, you know, being guys that were four-star guys or five-star guys, they haven't been playing like it, so that's just kind of my issues. Okay. It'll be interesting to see if indeed he and Green Bay Pat Wave will find themselves, of course, with whom they'll begin relevant, uh, being relevant at that point. I would guess. We'll see. So, getting into their pro prospects, anybody, you know, need sort of secret weapon types? I mean, who, is there anyone behind? you know, sort of the obvious name or two, and they don't have many of those now, but who are some of the older responses 
or more bold responses you think or what take me through Kentucky, not Kentucky, I mean um Tennessee, which had super high hopes. Yeah. Right? This was their year well last year. This was their year. They had a veteran quarterback. They had at least initially, uh Jalen Hurd for a moment, they had Alvin Kamara. They had a player who had a, a chance to break one of the more impressive sack marks, right, to break the Reggie White number. Uh, a lot, a lot uh-huh. of things. Uh, they had, uh, you know, a defensive back. Some people had a uh, corner. Some people had rated in the first round playing for right. them. This was their year, Jim. I mean, it's not to win the whole thing, at least to win the East. And they got off to an interesting start. We all watched. We all discussed, you know. Maybe they just have a little bit of magic. So take me through that team. Uh, strengths and weaknesses wise, and obviously about uh, as much as you can say about you know the the prospect. I guess all I can really say is Jalen Hurd was one of the most hyped running backs ever, and now he's playing wide receiver at Baylor. You know, um, he's playing a completely different position now than what he was playing at Tennessee. I, you know, as far as prospects, like I, you know, like I said, I guess, Lou McKenzie is very much hyped, but hasn't been able to stay healthy, hasn't been able to be productive because he hasn't been healthy. Um, Todd Kelly Jr., who's the safety there, um, has some decent sort of data points, but not amazingly. And then John Kelly, the running back there, who has mainly just been in a committee for his so, honestly, what I'm trying to say is I don't have a lot of hope for Tennessee. Um, I don't think that this is going to be a team that's going to get to nine wins. I don't think that this is a team that's going to repeat what they did last year. I think this is a team that's really realistically going to be a 500 football team or worse because they just weren't really that talented of a football team. All last year, it was very fluky in terms of the wins that they had. It was very odd in terms of the wins, very Tebow-esque not in a good way wins last year for them. And I don't think that repeats this year. Right. Right. Okay. So chugging along. Uh, sounds like you don't sound too surprised, I mean, about the the prospects and things like that. It seems like the things I'm thinking, you know, where I'm leaning – you know, I don't know. Obviously, we'll see what the year starts. But that brings Buffalo. A lot of new and exciting. Oh, sorry. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, sorry, not Buffalo, obviously. But um, brings us to Georgia. The, once again, uh, one of the sort of top shelf, top tier programs, not just in the SEC, but in the nation. They sit on a very deep and diverse pool available for recruiting. They have a lot of resources, probably not far off from Alabama in terms of their ability to generate material and money, I suppose, uh, as well, if it's necessary to get done things that they'd like to get done. So what do you expect? This is a program, once again, that some people think might go deep, uh, you know, perhaps win the East. What do you see in terms of, of course, the team and then obviously the uh, prospects at Georgia? 
I, I see a lot of good things. Uh, I think the running back position is probably one of the stronger aspects of the team. Um, you know, Nick Chubb is still there. <laughs> you know, uh, Sonny Michael still there. You know, like two years ago, if I told you, Bill, hey, Nick Chubb is still going to be playing for Georgia, um, you probably would say, no way. He's obviously going to declare, but n- nope. Um you know, because of sort of, you know, because of the way you had injury stuff and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, yeah, I – it's really – you know, Georgia's really weird as a, as a program. I think that they are on the up and up kind of because their defense has been getting a little bit better and their offense has a lot of st- – I mean, has a lot of stuff, at least at the running back position. Uh, they've been recruiting the heck out of running backs and they have a, a plethora of like, they're they're really just trying to be like Alabama, really is all, is all I would really say, um, in terms of just getting a lot of running backs, getting really giant offensive linemen, and just kind of doing that sort of thing. Uh, Jacob Eason has good data from high school. His season at Georgia wasn't that great, statistically speaking. Uh, he was a rookie, but he needs to. He has a lot to prove, I guess, is all I'm trying to say in terms of. Uh, um, he, you know, basically he didn't have like a Peyton Manning-esque sort of season, is what I'm trying to say, um, for a college quarterback. Uh, Isaac Nata, the tight end there, is someone who has pretty decent production. He's, of course, a sophomore, uh, but he was fairly interesting. Uh, Malcolm Parrish is a cornerback there. I felt like he kind of stuck out a bit. Uh, Raekwon Smith is an edge safety kind of guy, uh, but he's another guy who kind of who kind of stuck out as well. Trenton Thompson has – Trenton Thompson is very Mon Adams-esque in his film. You know, he's kind of a penetrator, and when he gets out in space, he looks really fast for his size, but isn't really the best in terms of leverage. But he did have really good production. I mean, when I was going through um, data sort of stuff, um, he was actually kind of the number one defense tackle going into the year. Um, but he definitely needs to improve hand usage and just leverage and a whole bunch of other kind of stuff. But he is athletic. At least on film, he looks fast. So, um, But, yeah, I think this team is okay. It, it, Jacob Eason does need to take another step. I mean, the, the basic thing with him is his uh, total – I mean, his QB stat score for last year was a 23.63 out of 100, and that's compared to FBS quarterback in terms of statistics. So, um he just needs to be playing a lot better, uh, is all I'm trying to say. D- despite the hype on him, um, he just wasn't really that great. And again, he was, he was a freshman. It's just that he he was a freshman who played like a freshman, you know, uh, which is not necessarily something you want, you know. I guess uh, at times, you know, sometimes you want a guy who's actually, you know, a, a freshman who plays like a veteran, you know, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's hope with him, but. All in all, though, with Georgia, I think they're a solid program right now. I just don't really see I, – I, I have to see more stuff before I'm ready to say they're going to become a dominant program or something that's going to contend with Alabama because so far I haven't really seen that from them yet. Well – as you mentioned yourself previously, some of the players who helped to build 
you know, it's been a good program for both of our lives back a few times over again. So that's good. Maybe some trouble in paradise. I think if there is a year for somebody, you know, this year or next, to make their brother spell, interesting. Gotcha. So moving along at a decent pace, but moving along, we have come, you know, so I think the first team ever to play in Miami, I think that is correct. Oh, with uh, who? I was saying, we sort of walking through and making splendid time. <laughs> But sticking with Georgia for the moment, who are the guys there um, that you expect to see playing on Sundays or have the best chance to do so uh, from the guys that you've seen? Right. Um, I would say Trenton Thompson is one of those guys. Uh, Malcolm Parrish, who's a cornerback there, I would say there is a pretty good chance he could do that. Nick Chubb, definitely. Sonny Michael. Uh, who else? Isaac Nata, who's a tight end there. And let me see, there's anybody else. I think that's really about it. Lorenzo Carter might, I don't know, there's a chance he could be like a backup kind of guy, but I don't know. I, I don't really think he's that good, but I do think that NFL teams will probably give him chances because he's from Georgia. So I think that's kind of how I see that kind of playing out. But um, he's kind of the last guy, I guess, in terms of NFL prospects. Got it. In an era, I guess, to some extent, where for many years before, if indeed, you know, all things are true, and you do have a owned that brave new world, reclaimed a brave world that has been lost. Got it. So. Clearly, uh, he's struggling with some things. But looking at the SEC as a whole, I think there's only a few teams to really think about being usually, uh, you know, overcome adversity and all that good stuff. And essentially, you know, the fact the fact that he had been a very fighter seemed somewhat 13, 13 years old and much much uh, much closer to the date that you're talking to. Okay. Uh, Digging back into who and what you expect going into, I mean, 
the sexy dark horse in the West last year was, was Arkansas. And you can almost sort of sexy dark, dark horse them again. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, but Bielema is one well of those guys that sort of falls into that trap of trying to out-save and save and never quite seems to do it, but he hasn't been there that long. But now he is playing with his own, you know, with, with a lot of his own players and things like that. What do you see coming down the pike for the Razorbacks in terms of the, you know, the season in the whole? And, of course, tell me about the players that you think have the best chance to play at the next level. Yeah, in terms of Arkansas, uh, it's really tough to say. I really like the running back, Raleigh Williams, you know, um, but unfortunately he retired uh, because of, uh, I think it was concussion, um, but he retired due to injury uh, sort of risk. Um, so he's not there, but he was actually was a guy I actually liked a good deal. He was kind of a tough back, uh, and he's no longer playing football. Um, defensively, they were kind of okay, but there wasn't there wasn't anything on their defense that really was amazing. Um, like they didn't really have anybody on their defense that really like caught my eye exceptionally. Uh, in terms of like athleticism uh, or just great play, you know, um, in terms of the team. Uh, the offensive line is like a typical Arkansas line, for example. Um, but um, I really don't know. And Austin Allen had his moments, uh, but he's someone who, uh, based on his stats, he has really good yards per attempt. And really good at just yards per attempt, but average touchdowns to interception ratio and average completion percentage and yards per attempt and just yards per attempt are really not like in terms of winning football games, those are not really the best stats to have. As far as um, winning, it's better to have really good touchdown interception ratio. She's just kind of average ish when it comes to that particular category. Um, so I just don't really know about Allen. Uh, I mean, he definitely has shown the ability to push the ball down the football field, which is what why everybody gets kind of excited about him is because of that. Uh, but when it comes to the other things, like not turning the football over as much uh, and keeping the chains moving, he hasn't really been that great when it comes to those types of things. Um, and it's, I really don't know if that will really improve or not. But I think Arkansas would probably be the same as they've been. Uh, but without Raleigh Williams, and I'm not quite sure what that's going to look like, you know, uh, because of losing him, because he was a pretty um, outstanding back at times for them. And uh, unfortunately, he had to retire, so that's not going to be there anymore. That makes sense. Staying on the interior of the line, and we'll cover them all, I suppose. Take me through the bottom of some of these boats and what year they were built. I guess not that that's the most important thing in the world, but the SEC, despite the arms race and the legs race and every part of you big imagine, uh, race seems to still fall behind some of the other world-class athletes who have been accused but not convicted or however you put it. 
but tell me first, at least in a playing game, probably some people play that in practice, but tell me about that situation. Uh, which which situation? So, let's see. We went through Georgia. Oh, wait. Did you say who the, the top prospects in Georgia were yet? Yeah, yeah. Okay, you did. Okay, got it. Uh, well, then, let's see. Uh, we've got, oh, let's see. I mean, we were in Arkansas. So. Arkansas, thank you, yeah. So, yeah. In, your mind, in your mind, who are the top Razorback prospects? Yeah, in terms of, I mean, in terms of top, top prospects at Arkansas, um, Frank Ragnar has a great name. Um, as yeah. a player, he's kind of okay. I don't know. There was a lot of people that were saying, you have to check out Frank Ragnar. You have to check out Frank Ragnar. And I did. And I was just kind of like, okay, he's solid. Um I don't know. They were hyping him up like he was like Jesus or something of, of centers, but he wasn't really like that. Um, he's okay. He's solid. I mean, you know, uh, I think Henry Tolliver maybe has some stuff. I guess I you know. I don't know. Um, the corners that are there, Ryan Pulley and him are are fairly okay. Uh, Drew Drew Greenlight, linebacker, I think is another guy to kind of look at. Uh, and then, of course, Austin Allen is another quarterback who, as a data guy, his data says he's not going to become an NFL starter. Um, film-wise, there are some positives to point to, but that's as far as I'll take it, I guess. Um, I'm not saying he's going to be terrible. just saying based on his data, uh, he doesn't really look like an NFL starter um, based on previous players. Uh, a lot of the excitement, well, let me be great. A lot of my excitement for the Gatorbacks is around their quarterback. What do you see when you look at the quarterback situation for the Arizona, Arizona, Arizona sorry, for uh, Arkansas Razorbacks?
Yeah. Yeah, you still with me? Jim? I may have lost Jim. So sort of uh, finishing up, obviously Austin Allen has been a much-discussed player for the Razorbacks. He seems to have a good combination of both physical and mental traits. For those that like traits, he certainly showed toughness. He showed a certain amount of... uh, Uh, flair, I guess, so for leadership a little bit. Uh, he's showed a, a few things. I mean, I think one of the things, maybe one of the biggest things that has been shown by him is the ability to face pressure and you know withstand it. Uh, see, you know, you've seen sometimes when he's been able to take that hit and still deliver the ball downfield, which is one of the things that many people look for, and I think rightly so. And I would say the other thing that he has shown throughout his time as a as a starter there, though he doesn't have a cannon for an arm, he has a little more arm than his, than his brother, which I think is one of the things that maybe kept his brother from being more than a, you know, a curiosity, um, a guy that, you know, certainly got discussed, but never really panned out very far just because, like I said, he was a limited, physically limited prospect. And I think there's not quite that same kind of level of physical limitation for uh, for Austin Allen that, that Brandon Allen ran into. And of course, there'll be much discussion of, you know, his hand size as well, I'm sure. But 
you know, that that's the main prospect that you'll hear people describing for a variety of reasons at Arkansas. Uh, they, they do have other players, as, as Jim was discussing some of them, and Arkansas will always be in the mix. I mean, whether it be Guillermo or whoever ends up, whoever's coaching there, they have enough of the types of players that you can build on. They have, you know, obviously I remember them from the days in the old Southwest Conference, but they, they certainly have enough that they can be in the mix to be maybe the number two, number three team in, in the West. And having a quarterback, we just talked about that, being an SEC school with a legitimate quarterback, and they have that, a legitimate quarterback. Oh, I see Jim's there. Um, other than the much-discussed Austin Allen, are there other players that you think are there's a reason to be sort of interested or excited regarding in, uh, in Fayetteville? All right. Um, well, Frank Ragnar. Oh yes, there. And yeah, and they're secondary, I guess. I don't know. They're they they're aggressive ish in terms of their cornerbacks and stuff, which is a quality I do kinda of like. They're not the best, but I do think in general, like Ryan Pulley and uh Henry Tolliver and Josh Lydell, they at least showed some flashes here and there. So, I mean, there's some stuff there, at least with their secondary. And they're a 3-4 defense now. And for some reason, the SEC often has something of a fascination with the 3-4 defense. I enjoy the 3-4 defense when it's been done correctly, certainly. It just seems to be really hard to find the right people, the actual players, the humans that it takes to play that system. Uh, do you think that they can actually find the right humans to do this? Maybe. <laughs> you know, like, I, I find it funny because the 3-4 defense is not, like, like okay, the 3-4 defense is not very, it's not a, not a super-duper complex defense. It's just a different oh. way of doing things. But yeah. you do have to have specific things. You can't have a six foot, three hundred pound defensive tackle as your nose tackle, um, or two hundred eighty pound, which is what some of them try to do. Uh, like Robert Candice shouldn't really be your nose tackle. That's all I'm trying to say. Um, <laughs> in terms of size, and also just, and and not only that, you have you have these guys that are three hundred and twenty pounds, Bill, who play the nose tackle position like they're a three tech. You know, um, when your primary responsibility a lot of times is to is to keep the linebackers clean and you're trying to, you know, do a pass rush move or trying to create havoc, penetrate into the backfield when that isn't necessarily your job. And don't get me wrong, I'm not denying that nose tackles who play that way, it does affect their statistics to a certain extent. But the one thing I've noticed when it comes to nose tackle is the elite nose tackle, at least the very, very good nose tackles, all had high solo tackle marks here. 
from the Holote Natas to the Vince Wilforks to all those guys to the Casey Hansons, all those types of guys, they may not have been tremendous in terms of sacks and TFL because they weren't asked to do that, but they were great in terms of solo tackles, which just speaks to their ability to, you know, basically move laterally and make plays laterally, you know, um, to wherever the run flow is going. Uh, so if you have, if you have ta- no tackles, you can't do that. You can't really flow laterally and deal with, you know, fight through trash, I guess, uh, then you're just going to kind of struggle with that. On top of needing to have three, four defensive ends, being a three, four, th- being a three, four defensive end doesn't mean getting a six foot five, 270 pound guy. You have to be able to hold up as a six foot five, normally uh, six foot five, 300 plus guy usually, uh, or around there. So, um, yeah, you have to have length and leverage because you're having to take on two offensive linemen typically. So on top of having uh, your pass rushers uh, who have to do a lot of different responsibilities, you know, it takes a special type of guy. Uh, so it's like anything else. Um, I don't think Arkansas really has the stuff to do that. I think they'll just be like every other sort of college 3-4 defense trying to do it, but not having much success because they don't have the right personnel. Um, so every man for themselves, I guess, is, is the sort of thing. Um, but who knows? They may, you know, they may try to run a variation of it too, um, where they kind of they do they do multiple looks and stuff like that. That may be a lot for people to do, but it would make sense to kind of do that approach. Okay. Got it. You like the running backs. Uh, you never told me your personal read on Austin Allen. Right. Um, I like him uh, on film. Uh, based on his data, though, uh, he doesn't really hit any high-quality outcomes at the quarterback position from high school to college at this point. Um, the things that he... The things that I really liked him about were his ability to make these kind of really big time throws down the football field. But when it came to like his stuff on paper, a lot of the stuff he he was struggling with was like touchdown to interception ratio, completion percentage, stuff like that. And when when I went back and watched him a little bit more, um, not to say there were big issues, it's just that he isn't always the most efficient quarterback ever. Some of that is the offense around him, but I really, I don't know. I don't like to give that excuse, oh, is wide receivers like this sort of like adjusted completion, adjusting for drops and all this kind of stuff, um, which, I mean, sure, that, that is another way of looking at things. But I just think as a quarterback, he he looked decent. He had some flashes here and there, but he wasn't like a um, – and he had some good games. I just didn't see a guy who every single time I put his film on was like lights out, you know, because he did have some games where he just – didn't look very good, uh, made some big mistakes um, in terms of some of the games that he had. Okay. And what do you feel like is realistic to expect from this program? Oh, man. Um, Seven wins, you know, eight wins. 
maybe. Okay. I mean, that might be like the 50 mark. They might do better than that, but that might be realistic, maybe seven wins, eight wins. Um, so if Raleigh Williams was still on the team, I might think they're a little bit better, but he retired. So the running back position oh. is now kind of in limbo. So it's it's kind of hard to get a read on that kind of thing with them. But um, because he's not on the team anymore, because you know, he retired, um, I, I would say that seven wins, eight wins is probably realistic based on what I saw last year what's coming back. Gotcha. Unless he pulls a uh, Joe, what's his name from Utah? Joe Williams, whatever. Uh, uh, right. Yeah. Which I don't think he will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you never know. I mean, you have, I mean, we just had that one, uh, I think, or, you know, that linebacker from Baltimore retired, you know, um, and then he got a second opinion. He said, no, you can play with this kind of attitude about stuff, which I don't know. If a doctor tells you if you play with this, there's a chance that you'll be paralyzed for the rest of your life. And then another doctor says, oh, no, that doctor was wrong. Um, I would side with the doctor who said I might be paralyzed for the rest of my life. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm not going to be like, oh, you know, I, I mean, I love football. Don't be wrong. But uh, I'm not going to be like, oh, the second doctor I talked to said it's okay for me to play. All right, I'm playing. Like, I'm not that, I don't know. Um, maybe it's just because. As I try to tell people, you know, like there are, you know, doctors are doctors. Don't get me wrong, but um, not every doctor finishes in the top 100 of their class. You know, like um, uh, not all of them are amazing, but um, but yeah. But I don't think he's gonna pull that. He was pretty adamant that he's that's it, you know, for him because of the injuries that he's had. So. Um, right. It's a shame, obviously. As you said, he's a talented player. They do have some other running backs, and it'll open up opportunities for those other guys. But he got hurt again in the spring game, right? Yeah, he got hurt again in the spring game. He had another injury, actually, during the season. I mean, he basically had injury after injury in his career. And I I don't know which – I don't know what if it was a concussions or if it was something else because he had other he had other things other than concussions like he just was banged up all around so um, in terms of him but I don't think it's a Joe Williams Joe Williams is a quitting situation like he didn't you know like it wasn't injury related I mean I'm not I'm just saying like it wasn't injury related it was just oh I'm not winning the starting job so I quit you know kind of thing. Um, you know, it just in terms of that sort of thing, which is a little bit different than quitting cause for injury stuff. Um, but, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen exactly for Williams. Right. No, I, I agree. The only thing that's going to happen is just, you know, because it's fresh in one's mind, you always sort of uh, bring it up. So uh, that brings us now to... Uh, let's see. Well, let's see. Not quite to LSU and Alabama. Let's see. So, oh, uh, Georgia. Do we talk Georgia? Yeah, we talk Georgia. Okay. Yeah, okay. 
I thought we had. Um, gosh, we're, we're making good progress. Let's see. Georgia, it's, uh, let's see. We talked South Carolina. We talked Kentucky. We talked Sandy and Tennessee. Oh, that's the other thing I'm going to ask you about Tennessee. Does Butch Jones survive this year? I mean, there was already sort of some. It's funny. You could have the roller coaster in one year, in fact. Uh, <laughs> quite the divergence of opinion about where he ranks amongst SEC coaches. I mean, if I was if I was the head of the program, he'd probably already be fired only because of stuff off the field, not necessarily on the field. Um, but I yeah, I don't really think he survived. I mean, because he has to I mean, what where do you go, you know? Like like what are you supposed to do? But you know what I'm saying? Like you were hyped up to be the team to get to the there was people getting paid lots of money, Bill, making predictions that Tennessee was going to be in the national, you know, um, I, for the SEC I championship. I remember. You know, and that didn't happen. And most of the core players of that football team are gone, you know. Awesome. So. But he, if he what, managed somehow, but say he somehow manages to split the East of Florida. Now, I'm not saying right. it's going to happen. But he somehow managed, right? They managed to be in a flat-footed tie for the for the East Championship, uh, and I don't know what kind of tiebreakers they use, but whether or not they played for the championship, they managed to have a a tie at the top of the conference with Florida. I think that was. I think he survived. I think much less than that. I don't. I agree with you. I don't know if he. I don't think. It, I don't think they're going to be thrilled with getting to the Bahamas Bowl or the. Crash fight hunger bowl. I don't think that's going to do it. Right. I mean, he he honestly he just has to show progress to keep his job. Because I mean, the only reason why the only reason you would keep your job after a season like that is to show progress. So if he doesn't show progress, then he's probably gone. If he does show some progress, if something good happens to this football team, which could happen. Tennessee, big program. He probably keeps his job. But personally, as a if I was the head of that department, whatever, I would not have him as the coach anymore. Maybe because of stuff that happened off the field, um, with certain you know, stuff. Um but that's just me. So gotcha. and I agree. They need to be clean off the field along with whatever happens in terms of on the field production. Okay, so finishing off the East. Wait, we didn't talk all this. That's what we didn't talk about. Sorry. Uh, before we finish oh. off the East, before we finish off the East, uh, Ole Miss, once again, not that long ago, was the sexiest, hottest program, not just in the SEC gym, in the entire nation. You had more stories about how you freeze was a master motivator and a master recruiter. It, I mean, everybody was talking about Bruce Feldman. Everybody's going down, you know, to talk to Hugh Freeze and his ability to reach kids and change lives and all that cool stuff. And uh, it was only a matter 
times where they knocked off Alabama. They were out recruiting Alabama. Remember those days? Yeah. I remember those days. Well, we live in a different age now, don't we? I guess. I guess. Yeah, we do. Um, you know, Hugh Freeze, I mean, the Hugh Freeze is, the whole issue of Hugh Freeze, honestly, is just that he did this sort of approach to try to get rich quick. Um, and they did get rich-ish quick. But, yeah, they, got, they got upper middle class quickly. They certainly did that. Yeah, but as with any get-rich-quick scheme, you know, you eventually get investigated by people. Like, I don't know about this pyramid scheme, sir. I think you're swindling people. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, as, as a program, my biggest issue with Minnesota always was the quarterback position. Um Going all the way back to Bo Wallace, people remember Bo Wallace, Chad Kelly. I was never a Chad Kelly believer. Those people are still out there. You know, he's Mr. Irrelevant. I think he's still irrelevant. Um, but, and maybe just because of the off-the-field stuff. I mean, you have to understand something. I know people don't put a lot in the, into quarterback character stuff, whatever you want to call it. But well, if you saw – I mean, unless you want to, I understand. But, like, Chad Kelly at the Senior Bowl, just from the videotapes, looked like a man who was bothered to be there, you know, like, not interested. Like, the body language you're trying to look for for a quarterback at the Senior Bowl if you're injured is someone who's interested, engaged, you know. Maybe he's, you know, he doesn't have to be, like, cracking jokes the whole time being a comedian, but at least to seem interested, engaged in the conversation and what's going on. He shouldn't at least be picking the brains of some of the assembled offensive coaching talents. I mean, exactly. Exactly. You know, you got Hugh Jackson, you got all these other people, you know, these NFL coaches, all that kind of stuff. What's Chad Kelly doing? Whistling in the wind, kicking dirt around, you know, having a sad face, just, kind of looking dejected and like, I don't want to be here. You know, my agent said I have to be here. I have to be here. Um, kind of, which, you know, kind of attitude uh, on top of the weeds. Now, again, there's no confirmation that he actually did uh, smoke weed other than weed being in front of him, uh, you know, which could mean, I mean, who knows, you know, maybe he did the weed, maybe he didn't. We don't know. You know, it was in front of him, but, we don't know if he partook and said we, uh, but yeah, I, but, but the bottom line is the quarterback was always the thing. The only thing I could say is the Shea Patterson actually looks like a fairly decent quarterback. Um, so that might actually be what saves Hugh Freeze's job. Maybe is unless they get some like major NCAA thing on them and they have like a Penn state or USC kind of thing, which I don't, I'm not sure if that ever happened. I don't think anything like that happened other than losing um, sort of recruiting sort of thing. Um, but as far as the program goes, as a, as a team, I like Shea Patterson. I think there's some stuff there that's kind of interesting. On defense, they have Marquise Haynes, who is 
again, talking about another edge safety, but he's an edge safety who literally plays on the line of scrimmage, um, you know, uh, and kind of a speed kind of uh, – everybody compares him to Hassan Reddick, uh, but he's not really Hassan Reddick. I mean, he definitely is fast, but he's not as – he's not Hassan Reddick's fast at all, is all I'm trying to say. Um, yeah. He's a little bit – he is strong for his size, which is kind of a plus for him. But, uh, but I mean, and again, I like Marquise Haynes. Uh, the, the safeties there get some hype. Diedrich Woods is one guy that's gotten a lot of hype. I don't really see it as far as, like, a lot of people saying he's, like, a top 10 safety and stuff like that. Um, but at this point, Ole Miss might be on the up and up, only because I believe in Shea Patterson, you know. Um, okay. I think he might be better than Chad Kelly, better than Bo Wallace, obviously. I think he might actually – be a good quarterback, and if he is, I think that might actually get them to say nine wins, ten wins, perhaps. Um, they're not going to contend with Alabama, but they are going to get to a decent amount of wins because I believe in Shea Patterson. But I could be wrong, but I, I I think he's a good quarterback. So we'll see. But I think that's kind of my expectation. And going from a program that clearly has found a quarterback to a program that I believe is still somewhat searching for one, you know, it wasn't that long ago, if you want to go back to, but I guess it actually <laughs> wasn't that long ago, I guess, really, when I think about it, when it seems like almost anybody that lined up, if you could get through the crucible that was Steve Spurrier, who actually lined up a starting quarterback, whether he was you know, Turner Pro prospect or not, was at least a Turner College quarterback. If Shane Matthews was a Turner College quarterback. Whirlpool was a terrific college quarterback. Rex Roseman was a pretty darn good college quarterback. Even Jesse, right? I mean, you know, the bachelor turned broadcaster was a pretty darn good college quarterback. Uh, you know, Jesse Palmer, um, I'm leaving somebody out, but yeah, there were a bunch of there were a bunch of guys, and they, they, you know, they were they were guys. I mean, they weren't, like I said, great pro prospects. Uh, but they got it done at the collegiate level, which is what you care about with your college coach. And those days clearly are gone, but they're still feeling around. Now, they have some guys I like. I like the trap kids. Uh, but, yeah, take me through Florida situation. Because they're another team that I think could, if the right things fall into place, could really be Kind of a dangerous program. They could. Um, when they had Will Greer, things looked okay. You know, they looked on the up and up. Um, and again, I don't. Okay. You know, Jack Del Rio is the head coach of the Raiders, and, you know, he's obviously he's a great linebacker and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Luke Del Rio as a quarterback for Florida has been an adventure is the best way to put it. Um, then of course they replaced him with a Purdue kind of reject kind of, and that wasn't really a big tall white guy. Again, um, elite 11 finalist, you know, the drill, that kind of guy, uh, which wasn't really the best sort of situation. Uh, and now they are 
in a I really don't know in terms of like um I mean in terms of like what they do because they have a lot of different I mean the quarterback position is is the main sort of thing. Uh like you said, Kyle Trask is someone who is still the backup there um right now. They have I think Philippe Franks is the guy that the Gator message boards are all gushing about with all the Cam Newton comparisons. Cam Newton comparisons. (laughs) Okay. Uh, He has to produce like Cam Newton uh, at high school. He didn't. He did not. He's a five and a half black kid who can run, Jim. That's what the comparisons are. So like Jeremy Johnson with Cam Newton too before uh, the um, I'm just saying, like, you know, I, I get it, but you also have to be as athletic as Cam. People don't realize that Cam Newton was as an athlete, but um, I guess, but, like, I, I don't know. Honestly, I think Trask is probably the better sort of choice, but right now they're going with 6'5", uh, black guy, and... You know, who knows? He's a true freshman. I mean, that's the thing. Both these guys are true freshmen. So that's interesting. In terms of the offensive pieces, I like Antonio Callaway. I don't like fast, the fact that he's fast, a that I can tell you, fast retro. So he's a he's retro. Um Right, okay. So here um Frank is a true sophomore because Okay. I think I think last year Frank I don't know if he didn't want a red shirt or they just wanted to have him available, but he didn't play outside of last year's spring games. He didn't play any. Like, he must have had a few snaps in, like, uh, what do you call that? Garbage time or something. When, um, right. It's enough of looking at Austin Appleby, which I can fully understand. Um, uh, yeah, that, I mean, no offense, but Austin Appleby. I mean, they tell white guys. It's, it's, so funny watching, it's just so funny watching these guys who somehow should be David Blau popping up in the SEC. Like, what the heck? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so outside, the, so outside of the quarterback situation, what else should we, should we be watching at Florida, Jim? Well, the wide receivers that are there. Uh, Antonio Callaway is a pretty decent wide receiver. Some people have him as a top five wide receiver. I was going to say, you can really have him as a top five. You're projecting him into the second half of the first round already. Yeah. Well, he hasn't produced like that yet. So, again, I'm a lot different than everybody, Bill. I want you to produce like Jerry Rice before I treat you like Jerry Rice. You know what I'm saying? Um, some of the productive, you know, I want you to produce you know, I don't. I don't want you to just be six five, two hundred forty pounds, and run four three. I want you to be six five, two hundred forty pounds, run four three, and produce like Randy Moss. You know, or Calvin Johnson. You know, before I start to consider even the possibility of saying you're the next set. Um, but yeah, in terms of the court, I mean the wide receivers. I mean Antonio Callaway, I think is a decent wide receiver. He has some potential. He is a sleeper. Based on all my stuff, he's a sleeper. Um, he's not a sleeper to everybody else, but to me, he's a, he's a sleeper. He has a lot of stuff to prove. Brandon Powell is another wide receiver there that I kind of liked. He's kind of a slot 
uh, kind of speed kind of guy. Uh, DeAndre Goolsby is like the classic H-back Florida tight end, you know, is kind of the but best way I can. To me, to me, if you want to get excited about a raw project, that's the guy. I mean, you know, it's Callaway, who's, yeah, he's cool. But if you're trying to get whipped up into excitement of a guy who hasn't really done anything, but you think might do something, that's the guy I'm sort of intrigued by. Yeah. Yeah, he's kind of a, he's kind of like that. Uh, there's also a lot of Jordan Scarlett hype at the ring back position. Uh, and they were very much a running back by committee sort of thing. And he didn't really produce as much as his, his lovers would have liked him to. Uh, Martez Ivy is the left tackle there who has sort of the body type of a guard. So he'll probably be a guard the next level. Um, on defense, oh boy, I don't really. In terms of the guys that are coming back, I don't really see a lot of stuff that I was super duper excited about. They all have some amounts of speed, but I didn't see a lot of strength in terms of their defense last year. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll probably have to revisit their defense, but I didn't see a lot of stuff. I see a lot of stuff on offense. I think offensively they have a lot of good things. But the quarterback position is kind of the main thing. I don't know how uh, that will turn out, but that's what they need is a is a good quarterback. And if they get that, then they definitely have a shot to do some interesting things. Okay. Got it. And what do you think happens for them this year? Where, where do you see – the Gators landing. Are they the best team in the East? Or something less? Huh. Well, you know what? I think they're the best team in the East. I'll give them that. Um, hmm. Yeah, I'll give them that. I think they'll get to nine wins, ten wins maybe. Um, and then they'll play Alabama and then get kind of railroaded in that game. Um, <laughs> yeah. But until they get the quarterback situation, you can't roll up. You can't roll up on Saban with a bad quarterback, man. That's not not going to work. <laughs> so <laughs> you just got you got to have something better uh, to to do. So that's my only sort of issue with them is the quarterback situation, but. Even with a kind of eh, quarterback, I still think they'll probably win the East, even if that is the case, because they have a lot of really good offensive weapons and uh, stuff on offense. I am inclined to agree with you. I think that if they get even solid offensive, I mean, offensive play to include, you know, their quarterback being simply dependable. I mean, if Del Rio won the job and simply was dependable, I think they'd be okay. If my preference, as I said before, is Trask. If Frank managed to not make a lot of you know young quarterback mistakes, and he did look much better in this year's uh, spring game than last year's. His, his uh, performance in last year's spring game was frankly scary. 
I mean, he was ta- you could see he's a talented kid. He's a big kid. He's an athletic kid. But in last year's spring game, you know, it was it was it was a cautionary tale, and he had a much better performance this time around. Now, once again, spring game is just that it's spring game. I mean, you know, you can't read too much into it. But he looks much more comfortable, looks more confident. He got a better grasp of what was going on in the offense than he had in the past, you know, in the last year's spring game. Okay, that brings us to now we can dispense with the East altogether and move on to the three teams that will probably be, or at least three teams, three teams I think will probably be the most interesting to watch in the West. Uh, so, Texas A&M, once again, a program that, you know, much like Missouri, there was questions about their ability to hold up moving from the Big 12 to the SEC. And they've had their moments, much like Missouri, only not quite as consistently in Missouri, but they've had their moments, moments of glory and some of them less glorious. But take me through Tech being which always has a, a fair number of pro prospects, and what you expect to see from that team. Right. Um, hmm. They're another team where I'm really I'm confused about the quarterback situation. Uh, yeah, well. They've, well, I mean, it's not that they have had, they, it's not that they haven't had quarterbacks, it's just that all of them left. Yeah. Um, they've had no trouble getting quarterbacks, they've had trouble keeping quarterbacks. Yeah, exactly. So, I'm, hmm, I'm really confused about that. Now, I will say this, Christian Kirk is a, is a really good wide receiver, um, super fast, very good. Uh, people say he's overrated. I don't know what you're talking about. At least the people that are like, oh, Cal really so much better than Christian Kirk. And I'm like, okay, all right. Um, yeah, I don't know yeah, where the Christian Kirk backlash is. What's generating it exactly? I don't know if it's because he's... He's 5... I think, is he 5'10 or 5'11? I mean, even if he is 5'10. He's about 5'10. Yeah, he's somewhere in that 5'10 area, yes. Even if he is 5'10", I say who cares? You know, um, height is never – height is one of those things as a wide receiver position. There's no difference in the history of the position to being 5'9 or being 6'5, you know, in terms of outcomes. Um, you know, there's some 6'5 wide receivers that are elite wide receivers. There's some wide receivers that are 5'9 and they're elite wide receivers. So I I don't you know, I don't know I don't subscribe to that and plus I just have the other mentality of we talk about you know we talk all the time about well being six foot five means that you're the strategic weapon right well being five nine and running four three is a strategic weapon too you know like <laughs> same thing you know like have a linebacker run with a with a five nine guy who could run four three he ain't gonna run with him so it's the same sort of difference you know it's just he's beating you in a different way. Um, but yeah, I think Christian Kirk is, is a fairly, you know, a very good wide receiver, uh, very fast. It's probably the biggest thing I always like about him, uh, and also is one of those guys who can really sell vertical routes really well because um, of his speed. Uh, who else do they got on defense? There are a couple guys. Armani Watts is a safety that has shown up a lot in terms of production. 
but his pass deflection market share hasn't really been that great. He's been very good in terms of solo tackle market share and interception market share. Pass deflection market share hasn't really been that great, uh, which can improve, but that's the only sort of thing that wasn't really that impressive. Uh, Zacoby and Henderson, a defensive tackle, he's a guy who kind of flashed a little bit on their uh, defense. And I think the other, I think there's another guy on offense, perhaps, but not really. And they still got Jake uh, Hubenek, uh which I, I don't know if I said that right, but he's still there. So he's going to be the quarterback this year. And honestly, I don't know how it's going to go. Um, they were able to at least have a decent season with Trevor Knight, who was not the best quarterback ever. So I think Jake Kubinak can at least be a game manager and do stuff like that. But I don't see this team taking a next step, if you will, like winning 10 games, nine games, stuff like that, with the quarterback situation that they have. And then the defense lost a lot of players on defense. So a lot of really special players, too, on defense. So. I think that might hurt him a little bit is losing all that. And the offense is still an issue because of the quarterback position. Yeah, that's, I think they're probably the third or fourth best team in the conference still. Uh, on what, what happens with Florida's quarterback situation and of course what happens with their own quarterback situation. I think probably the team, I mean, if you're sort of ranking the, you know, the conferences with regard, without regard to the East and West, just the whole conference as a whole. I think the different the difference between those two teams, between Florida and Texas A&M, will be that quarterback play. If one of those teams finds consistently average to above average quarterback play, that'll probably be the team that's the better of those two teams. So, yes, I, I'm interested to see what happens. With, I mean, I, I like Watts a great deal. I'm a huge fan of Christian Kirk, and I also don't understand the, like I said, the, I don't know what Christian Kirk did to these people, but with this, this mysterious Christian Kirk backlash, uh, and once again, maybe because he doesn't look like what some people think uh, a wide receiver one looks like. Uh, well, you know, he's, you have to line him up in the slot. We don't have to. We played on the outside, and he's played in the backfield. He's played, he played everywhere. I mean, it's like these people didn't watch Marshall Falk play football at all. Well, they did Oh, they didn't watch was. Marshall Falk. They didn't watch him play. <laughs> they they weren't. Uh, I mean, I I saw him play, but that's because I took the initiative to actually go watch him play. These people didn't watch. Him play. Probably not at the NFL, nor or maybe they did see him in the NFL because I remember watching Marshall Falk in the NFL, but that was towards the end of his career. You know, um, well, I watched his entire career at. Uh, at San Diego State University, and the funny thing is that there were teams that wanted him as a defensive back coming out of high school, which I thought was odd. But yeah. um, well, but who knows? Well, he could have been a safety. Could have been yeah, like he, a bang a good one. He probably could have been a pretty good one. But, but it was just funny to me to hear that some of the big schools. I mean, as you know, he's a Louisiana kid, and the only sort of Louisiana interest he was able to draw was from like Louisiana Tech and a little bit of like late interest in LSU for defense, you know, so um, they didn't like him at running back at LSU, uh, so he had to end up going all the way out to San Diego State, but, but yeah, so I've watched his entire career uh, from, you know, when he was being recruited as a high schooler, obviously through a professional career, 
I mean, I'm not comparing Christian Kirk exactly to Marshall Falk because that's unfair for a lot of reasons. He's not as physically strong as Marshall Falk was, even at the, this stage. I mean, even at 20, uh, Marshall Falk was a, you know, I mean, he wasn't rocked up exactly, but he was a strong guy, particularly in his lower body. And he took a, I mean, he took a lot of touches. <laughs> I mean, you know better than most. He took a lot of touches. He, I don't know yeah. what the market standards were, but I know they were high. Well, yeah, all pro level, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> Unsurprising. Unsurprising. Yeah. I mean, and I do get you to mean. I guess what I all I I guess what I'm trying to say about the wide receiver position, which is kind of what you're alluding to, um, is just there's many different w- ways to win as a wide receiver, and I don't understand the mentality of, well, slot wide receivers are. You know, just because you're a good slot receiver, you're lesser value than a, a full-time. Like, um, you know, Calvin Johnson is uh, – I guess it's the Calvin Johnson effect, really, or the Brandon Marshall effect. It's just the fact that we had a lot of these, like, six five wide receivers roaming around for a bit. Um, but, again, uh, I, I just don't understand the sort of, like, oh, we, we should devalue – like, you're a lesser wide receiver because you're a slot wide receiver. I don't really get that. Yeah. Thing. That's it. That's looking at slot receivers as second class citizens. Tom Brady doesn't look at his slot receivers as second class citizens. No, because he depends on them. You know, um, like there is little blank. You know, all of them. So he loves them equally. You know, especially the Top Gun ones. But um, I just, yeah, I I just don't get that sort of mentality. You know, if you're a productive wide receiver, you're a productive wide receiver. Whether you're six foot five or six foot or five foot nine, you know. Um, you know, Steve Smith. Amazingly, when I went back and looked at Steve Smith's sort of um, production, um, he's like right up there with all the greats you could think of in terms of like a career, in terms of his production numbers. Um, but just doesn't get the same kind of love, you know, for whatever reason. Uh, well, there's some reason. But um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I just don't get the sort of it's like the thing with Amari Cooper. Like, people were putting Kevin White over uh, Amari Cooper in that draft, mainly because of being tall makes him have more upside potential. And I'm like, really, guy? Really? Why don't you just base it off of the film? Who's the better route runner, Amari Cooper? You know, who's the guy? You know, like, there's a lot of stuff. I don't know. But, yeah, I just didn't get that. But, uh, yeah, Christian Kirk is a very good wide receiver. I have him as a top five wide receiver going into the year. Um. So and and hopefully this year you can get featured a little bit more, because uh, Josh Reynolds isn't there anymore. The tight end guy they had there supposedly uh, is not there anymore. Um, so I think this might be Kirk's chance to kind of assert himself. Um, I guess so. Right. Well, as I said, I, I'll be interested to see what happens, you know, with Ubenak or Connor McQueen or whoever it is, uh, a quarterback for a I'll be interested to see if their defense can reconstitute itself at least enough that it, you know, isn't giving up 45 or more points almost every game. But if they can do those two things and find, like I said, consistency at quarterback and their defense can be even average, I could see them 
being, like you said, sort of a team that, that nine wins I don't think is out of the question. Ten would be very difficult but not impossible. And like I said, all depending upon what happens at the quarterback position. Now that brings us to LSU. Speaking of quarterbacking, woes. Um, speaking of oh my gosh. Evergreen tweet. <laughs> like, what are they doing at quarterback there? I mean, it's almost like Zach Mittenberger, they hated on Zach Mittenberger so much that the karma just came back to bite him, you know? Like, I don't know. You know, like, there was all this sort of LSU backlash against Mittenberger. Um, and then the Mettenberger last years. on campus in disguise or whatever. And yeah. He, he would light up their message for it. Man, this kid showed up. He's got a sign. He's got an arm. He understands the offense. Oh, we're finally delivered from our travail. Yeah. And so far, man. So okay, so you got you got Brandon Harris. Um, yep. And based on my data, you know, people keep doing this. I try to I try to leave little stuff, you know, little just pick me up. Like, hey, check out this thing here. You know, um, this might help because people go to like the rankings and stuff and go. Look at the top, you know, dual threat quarterbacks. Brandon Harris, five-star quarterback. Based on high school data, he was basically a 17.48 out of 100 guy. Um, that doesn't really sound like a dual threat as much as a one threat, like you said. You know, like uh, I think that's a good point. Uh, and then you get Danny, you know, Danny Etling, who at Purdue was, meh. And then, uh, but also based on his high school data, was a below average quarterback in high school. Uh, he did really well at Elite 11. But L- all I'm trying to say, LSU, is maybe you should stop going after guys who do well at Elite 11, you know, competitions, and start going after guys that actually test well in terms of data. You might do better. Uh, but so far, it's been just, uh, it, I don't know, it's been comically bad in terms of the quarterback play. Etling is just one of the C's of Brandon Harris's and all that kind of stuff. But there is some hope because they did get Miles Brennan, and he actually did have good data. He's not starting this year. I'm pretty sure he's redshirting. Um, but he actually did have some fairly decent um, data on him. Um, but he's not starting this year. So they, they still have Etling. But that's the only sort of hope is that maybe Miles Brennan next year could come in and do some stuff, but that's the only sort of issue. So, like I said, it's always an evergreen tweet, but it sounds like they they might be finding the light in the forest or the the light at the end of the tunnel or the, the oasis at the end of the desert or, you know, the, the cure for the seemingly intractable illness seems to be on the uh, on the horizon. Is that what you're saying, Jim? Yep. I mean, you, you only need one, you know. I mean, it's kind of silly to say that, but, uh, you know, you only need one quarterback to, to hit to get everything to start to look better. Uh, so he could be that one. So is, is all I would say. 
uh, with Miles Brennan. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. That's right. Okay. Oh. So that brings us to what used to be, you know, the Death Star, the evil empire, the, you know, the lair of the Sith Lord. Obviously, similar to some of the programs we've talked about, recruiting juggernaut, five-star recruits as far as the eye can see, and questions of the quarterback position. You know, it is sort of a reoccurring joke to some extent, but there were flashes of things that give you hope at the quarterback position, though you saw some, you know, some real signs of immaturity. Uh, you saw a guy that was not comfortable with staying in the pocket. You saw a guy that was not comfortable with getting to his secondary or you know, his third read. You saw someone who definitely struggled to always so much of the ball special anticipation, find that second window. I think, I mean, all those things that you look for from guys who are more experienced. He didn't do those things well. But he also generally stayed away from the soul-crushing turnover. I mean, there's, there's things that young quarterbacks do that he avoided also. He didn't, or even, you know, Danny Ashley does. He wasn't all that young. He stayed away from some of those things. So take me through Alabama, and I guess we, we have to talk about, you know, Mr. Hurts and the quarterback position, but some of the other positions as well as we walk through it. Right. Well, the running back position Contrary to popular belief, Damian Harris is number one on the depth chart at Alabama and not Bo Scarborough. So I don't know what Bo Scarborough is going to do, but it's kind of hard to – yeah, well, it's kind of hard to produce like Derrick Henry when you're the number two running back on the roster is all I'm trying to say. Um, So, I mean, in terms of like how Derrick Henry – you know, because Derrick Henry was a super good productive guy. Uh, based on my stuff, Bo Scarborough was a 27.32 production guy, which really doesn't hit any sort of good outcomes, you know, very rare sort of exceptions for different guys. So, um, but yeah, so, here, you know, Harrison started there. Calvin Ridley is there as well. I like Calvin Ridley. I don't get the sort of, like, I've heard a lot of things of him being like he's Reggie Wayne or he's Marvin Harrison stuff with him. I don't get that no. stuff. Um, I think he's a good wide receiver. I don't think he's like a special wide receiver because I get a lot of that. I see a lot. I see a lot of that in my face a lot, and I I, I kind of <laughs> go okay. I don't I don't like this you know type of. Um, I, again, I think he's a good wide receiver. I just don't think he's a exceptional wide receiver. Um, hey, also, Jim, yeah, remember Devin Roma should do? Yeah, yeah. There you I go. There you he's go. on the Bears. Amongst other teams, yes. Vikings. He's uh, on the Colts. The Colts, yes. Right, a few places. Made a few stops. He did wasn't some stuff. Bad. Wasn't a bad player. Had a couple games. Had a cup of coffee, a couple games, yeah. Um, you know, I, yeah. I think he's more refined. I mean, I'll, I'll be fair. He's more refined. I mean, Aroma Shadu sure. was a guy that was super raw. I think he's more refined than Devin Aroma Shadu, but I don't think 
I don't see where people are getting Reggie Wayne. I don't see people where getting where people are getting Marvin Harrison. Uh, and it's not, also again not seeing Marvin Harrison or Reggie Wayne as well. So, maybe that's it. Well, there Having that watched well. both guys play in college, uh, I can assure you. I mean, first of all, people. I think people are forgetting. And not that Calvin really slow, but people are forgetting just how fast Marvin Harrison was when he was young. I think it's what he people was super fast. He was blazing fast. I mean, his and, numbers, the rumored numbers were pretty much the same as all the other ridiculously fast rumored numbers of other players. So, right. you know. Marvin Harrison was, was a legitimate track guy in high school and briefly was a very legitimate track guy. He at one point held the indoor 60-meter or 55-meter record at Syracuse. Uh, I think in his one year of indoor track, he set a school record. So that should give you an idea of yeah. what Marvin Harrison was like as a, as a track athlete before he decided to just concentrate on football. He was a track, he was a track athlete. Calvary was very, not, is not exactly a track athlete. I'm not saying he's not athletic. I'm just saying that he's not exactly powerful. He isn't. He's fast, but he's like four or five speed versus like Amari Cooper speed. You know what I'm saying? Um, right. He's to me, he is like an average size wide receiver with average speed for his size, with averageish strength for his size, if that. Being generous, and as a route runner, he's okay. But yeah, there isn't anything particularly amazing. Again. Keyword, amazing. Uh, jump out of your seat. He's the number one wide receiver in this class, uh, which some people have. There's nothing like that that really pops off the stuff. On I top of the fact that, that... I can't understand where that... What, what spurs that? Is it just the Alabama effect? Because... Yeah. <laughs> I can Maybe throw Alabama. Tape, maybe that's what it is. I can throw on tape of a bunch of wide receivers who are as impressive, who people don't even rank in the top 10. Yeah, Cortland Sutton, Michael Gallup, Richard, Richie oh. James are more impressive. Right. right. Um, James Washington even, you know. Right. So it's, they just do things better than Calvin Ridley does. So I – I don't know. I don't know what to say, man. I, I again, I like Calvin Ridley. I just don't like the where where he's at in terms of hype. So right. it's, it's one of those types of situations where people go, "Oh, you hate Calvin Ridley." I'm like, I don't hate Calvin Ridley. I just think that like he's Calvin not Ridley. as high as you think he should be. You know, like he's um, he just doesn't really have any special qualities to him. Um, and you're saying he's a special wide receiver, so I take offense to that. I guess is what I'm trying. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, on top of the fact that he's – it's a thing that people are bringing up anyways. He's an older prospect. You know, he's he's basically the same age as Mark Cooper when he was in the NFL. <laughs> so now he's really old, you know what I mean? Uh, but, I don't know. I think Kevin really was just because he was a rookie and he had a, a fairly decent rookie season, which he did. Um, but if you're a 21-year-old, you would hope – you had a good rookie season. You know, like if you're that old, uh, you would you would hope to you don't have a be lot at least time to figure it out if you're 21 already. You know, the time exactly. The game. Exactly. So there's a bit of that too. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, he's, he's just kind of what he is. I'm a little bit more interested to see what like Robert Foster does maybe. Uh, but that's just me. Uh, in terms well, of Foster was the more impressive guy when they early, early in their career. Foster was the guy that people really were excited about, and Ridley was seen as sort of the number two to Foster, and then Foster got hurt. No wait, was it or was it Parker? Yeah, I'm sure who it was who was they got hurt. They I got, think it was. Guys. I think it was uh, the wide receiver that the Jets struck. I think got hurt. No, I mean, yes, someone who's still or, on campus. Uh, might have been Ridley. No, it wasn't Ridley. Ridley emerged when this kid got hurt. Um, it was either Foster. I keep thinking it was Foster um, who had gotten hurt. Uh, I could be wrong. It's either a guy named either Foster or maybe somebody named they have a, I can't, but, but either way, Ridley was a guy that sort of, you know, came to prominence while, you know, other guys sort of fell by the wayside, and deservedly so to some extent. He played fairly well. He is a good football player. He's a top 100 football player, even. That, that's why it killed me. When someone's like, I don't like a player, and I say, I have him on top 100, I clearly like him. I, now, if you maybe you only look at 100 football players, maybe that's why you think, you know, hundreds as well. Baby. I, look at thousands, I look at thousands of football players. This guy is in the top 10% of the football players that I see. Yeah. So, not bad. I like it. Pretty good. I just don't see him. I mean, the biggest thing, too, is he just doesn't, and I don't put a lot of stock into special athletic abilities all the time, but, like, you talk about Julio Jones, he's a freak athlete. You know, like, he had freak athleticism. Mark Cooper was a freak athlete in terms of speed and flexibility and stuff like that. Um, and these are also guys that were very productive too. And that's the other thing about Marvin Harrison is, you know, he was just tremendously productive in terms of being like elite in terms of market share stuff. Ridley hasn't done any of that stuff yet. So um, in terms of, you know, like having elite market share production and stuff like that, he's had good market share production starter level, but not like pro bowl level or all pro level. So, um, which just kind of adds to another knock because of his age. But, yeah, I mean, I I think he's a solid wide receiver. I just don't really get the hype of him being number one. I already talked about Bo Scarborough in terms of having the guns but isn't producing like it. And, and he's another guy who's had some flashes of stuff, you know. He's a big, you know, people like Big Vaxxon cannot lie, and he's one of those types of guys. Um, On defense, I'm really confused as to what this defense is going to look like next year. I really am because, I mean, the only guys I'm familiar with are like Nathan Fitzpatrick, who I felt uh, looked good uh, a pretty decent amount. People have him as like a cornerback now. I don't know why that is what it is. I think he's a safety. Uh, Ronnie Harrison, I also felt, was another safety there that I felt looked pretty decent. Um, and then there's also a lot of Jerron Payne uh, hype. And he's another guy who production-wise was just below average in terms of everything because um, he was a rotational guy. But he's another guy who's like considered to be a, like a top-ten pick or something like that. Um, 
But as far as Alabama, I think they're going to be Alabama. I think they're still going to do a run-heavy offense. Uh, Jalen Hurts, I think, will bring another dimension, which is the main thing he gave to that offense was just that he was a, a fairly athletic quarterback, so he could, you know, run and make plays with his legs. Uh, and he just needs to improve as a passer a little bit more, which I think he will. But I think they'll pretty much be the same Alabama we've always known them to be. I think their defense might have some hiccups here and there because of some young guys coming in, but I still think they'll be solid. So I think Alabama will pretty much – I would say this. Alabama will be fine. You don't have to worry about Alabama. You know, like I think they're pretty much going to be uh, the same thing that they've always been. Um, which is, you know, going to national championship, or at the very least, SEC championship winners and stuff like that. Like, I think they're pretty much going to continue that tradition based on what they have so far. Got it. So, I thought I was going to ask you sort of a, I don't know, leading question or a maybe even almost impossible to, to, to answer question. Is the SEC, quote-unquote, back? SEC back? Well, I mean, if it was um, ever... <laughs> If it was ever not there... Uh, no, SEC is not back. Ah, all right. They've lost the crown. They've lost, The crown is gone. Um, it may take a couple years. Here's the thing. Alabama makes up for a lot of sins. If Alabama wasn't in the SEC, then people would stop treating them the way they've been treating them. Alabama is an excuse to keep the SEC where they're at, you know, if you will. Um, Which, again, it makes sense. Like, oh, well, the best team is in this conference, so that obviously is the best conference. I don't go with that opinion. I just think the Big Ten, when you look at the coaching staffs that are there, you look at the coaches that are there. You look at uh, the fact that the talent that they recruit is from everywhere. So that excuse of, well, they don't have fast players in Ohio. Well, yeah, they go to Florida and they go to Texas and they go to New Jersey. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, they go to Jersey. So they get all their stuff everywhere um, now. So that excuse of, well, they're not as fast as the SEC is kind of BS now to me um, because they're pretty much recruiting the same people Alabama's recruiting uh, somewhat. So uh, so I would just say that the SEC is not back. So Alabama is going to be just fine. Alabama's all right. Don't right. You don't have to worry about Alabama. No, don't worry about them. They're, they're, they're fine. The rest of the SEC, that's where stuff is messed up, kind of wishy-washy. Is everything else? Got it. So, as I understand what you're saying, Alabama is still Alabama, but the SEC as a whole is not that. No, they're not. Because in order for the SEC to be back, like here's the, here's the other thing to say: in order for the SEC to be back, is Auburn back? Well. That's- I was about to ask you, so that that anticipates the next question. <laughs> uh, right. Because obviously, I mean, you know better than 
me, and better than most, for many years, there was a legitimate debate to be had within the state about, you know, supremacy. And obviously that debate has been a little less lively in the last couple of years, but for a long time, especially when Miles on first got there, you know, once again, he was, you know, as hot as any coach in the country when he first got there and immediately paid dividends. No offense to Tommy Tuberville or I me, mean, but, you know, going, you could go back to the days of, you have to go back away, frankly, uh, since they had that much excitement around that program and especially around the coaching position, you have to go back 30-plus years to find... Like Pat Dye, you know, you know maybe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it has been a minute. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, it's been three decades since they had that kind of buzz and excitement around the coaching uh, position there, the head coaching position, and, of course, like I said, paying immediate dividends. So we talked about, you know, sort of the class of the conference. You've got Auburn, you've got possibly LSU, Texas A&M, and Florida. And I could be wrong, but to me, those seem like the, you know, the, 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 the cream or whatever you want to put it in terms of the conference. And you have a few teams sort of that are right beneath that in sort of a, a closely, you know, a closely held second tier. And then, you know, you've got a more distant tier after that. But... Tell me about Auburn football. I mean, there was a time, and it wasn't that long ago, Jim, when some people thought Auburn might knock Alabama off the top spot. Yeah, but they're forgetting the fact that anytime Auburn beat Alabama, it was because of a miracle, a cursion. Um, Cam Newton is a once-in-a-lifetime prospect situation that led to all the wins. I mean, think about this, Bill. You go into a season, you're Auburn, you get this quarterback in Cam Newton, and you win the games as you win. Not only that, the games that Cam Newton won in Al- at Alabama, you know, the Alabama-Auburn game with Cam Newton is a classic, you know, uh, in terms of just the upset sort of win that you just like, what? That happened? He came back from that many points? Um, and then, of course, you get the Nick Marshall stuff. When that, when all that stuff happened with Nick Marshall, uh, Bo Jackson was originally supposed to go to Alabama, and then he declined to go to Auburn because they actually were going to let him start immediately. Um, so think about that. Bo Jackson could have not gone to Auburn. He could have went to Alabama, um, if not huh. for his decision to want to start. I'm just saying, like, first person offered him the job was Alabama, you know, and then they said, as all you know, back then they're like, you know, listen, you're a very talented football player, but you know, Alabama, we don't start freshmen. You know, was kind of their attitude. And the end, that's true. You could either redshirt or be a backup, but you weren't going to start. Yeah, and Bo Wallace and and Bo Jackson was just like, all right, I'll go play for Auburn then. You know, Pat Dye gave him a call. Um, mm-hmm. so. He turned down, I mean, basically, Bo Jackson turned down a legend, which, and again, is a miracle in itself, you know, is all I'm trying to say. Uh, so, Auburn is, as I tell most people, Alabama, and the sort of mentality, as an Alabama, as a person from Alabama, Alabama is essentially like the upper class sort of drink your tea with your pinky up kind of attitude, while Auburn is like the blue collar sort of 
you know, put on your hard hat kind of thing. Uh, but you don't win, you know. So it's like a, a slobs versus snobs kind of thing. The slobs don't always win. The sl- hey, the slobs don't always win, but, you know, they're going to have a good time. Uh, so I don't think Auburn will ever get out of that mentality, but that definitely has been what it's been forever. So, um, but, yeah, as the program sits right now, the weirdest thing to me is Sean White is not the starter now. You know, Jared Stidham is. And don't get me wrong, Jared Stidham had some flashes at Baylor of some decent stuff. But Sean White, based on stats, was the best quarterback in the SEC, you know, just based on his statistics. Like, you realize that people will get mad at you for saying They probably will. They probably will. They're probably furious, but when you look at his statistics, uh, you know, you look at his touchdown to interception ratio uh, compared to every quarterback in the FBS, you look at his completion percentage, you look at his yards per attempt, his adjusted yards per attempt, uh, his quarterback rating, and the fact of the competition he was playing, uh, he was the best quarterback in the SEC. Uh, And you know, with that 89.81. I was surprised as well, Bill. Like, I'm not, you know, I was, I was surprised too. But he, he was. So, um, so you go, okay, let's put Jared, Jared Sidham in there. And Jared Sidham is a guy that, based on his data, doesn't really look that great in terms of high school and other, other sort of factors. So, um, and also he's a Baylor, which I'm not trying to say, oh, Baylor quarterbacks are the stereotypical thing, but traditionally their quarterbacks, you know, screen pass, screen pass. Like, I don't know. I just, there's a lot of, and yeah, Miles on his offices. I guess what I'm trying to say is, is I don't really know what Auburn is doing 100% because of the quarterback situation. I felt like Sean White showed enough to at least be a game manager and not turn the football over and stuff like that. And now I just don't know. Now I do, you know, Cameron Petway, the running back there is, a, is you know, if you like the exact, you cannot lie. He's interesting in terms of size. Uh, they also have a cornerback there in uh, Carlton Davis, who has gotten some hype here and there, and he's, he, he showed some flashes here and there. Uh, the defensive line, there's some things there too, but I really don't, I don't, uh, I'm not going to say, you know, every year, for the last two years it's been, does Malzahn get fired? I really don't, I really don't know. I really can't say if he will or not. Um, I just think that you have to have reasonable expectations for Auburn. And uh, unfortunately his expectations have been get two championships and stuff like that, you know, and I just, I don't think Auburn will ever get out of the mentality of being the second class citizen to Alabama because it's always been that way. You know, um, so I, you know, I, but that's my only sort of thing. You know, Auburn will definitely, you know, Alabama will get its comeuppance every once in a while, but they'll still have that sort of lingering sort of dominance over Auburn because psychologically or not, I don't know, but it's just that sort of effect. And it's been that way for a while. Are there any players left on Auburn's defense to consider? <laughs> I know they lost oh. guys. Well, I mean, Carlton Davis, like I said, is the uh, one guy. 
Trey Matthews at safety is kind of a throwback kind of safety uh, as like a strong safety type, kind of downhill kind of guy. One, He's a one direction guy, you know. Um, and their defensive line, there was a couple guys that flashed a bit, but the only real defensive guy that I would say, like a plus plus is like Carlton Davis at cornerback. He's the only like plus plus kind of defensive player. Right. In terms of NFL potential. Okay. So if you were saying the top ten overall prospects in the conference in the SEC, in your mind, who would they be right now? Okay. Um, Christian Kirk. Okay. Definitely. Calvin Ridley. Um, at the quarterback position, nobody. Uh, <laughs> offensive line, uh, Martez Ivy would be there as a guard. I have him more as a guard. He's a tackle right now, but I, I see him more as a guard. Um, Antonio Callaway, I definitely would have there too. So probably three wide receivers, Martez Ivy. Uh, Isaiah Nata, a tight end. Of course, he's not eligible, but he's at least the top tight end. Oh, Hayden Hurst. So I'll put Hayden Hurst there. Okay. Um, defensively, Carlton Davis, I would actually put in that top 10 in, in terms mm-hmm. of being one of the better cornerbacks. Trenton Thompson, a, a defensive tackle from Georgia. And I think that there's. Oh, Jordan Jones, that linebacker from Kentucky. Okay. I got two more. Who else? Any LSU? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, um, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Darius Geis. There we go. Didn't forget about you. <laughs> Darius <Yeah>. Geis. <laughs> so, yeah, Geis is there. And then the last guy, just to keep it diversified, I guess. Maybe would probably be another LSU guy in the cornerback they have there. And I forgot his name. He's been injured a bit. You want Shark? They talking about? Uh, uh, who? Shark. You want Shark? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so I think he would be there, too. He this year, he can stay healthy. I mean, he's, a, he's an intriguing prospect. And is Tolliver draft eligible at LSU? Yeah, Tolliver, yeah, Tolliver is draft eligible, yeah. I thought so. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Arden Key, too. Oh, yeah, so I, guess, right. I thought Arden Key might be somewhere in the <laughs> so I guess I'll, I guess I'll <laughs> drop. Yeah, I'll probably drop Carlton Davis and put. Arden Key. Okay. But well, honestly, I mean, not a lot of – this is the first year in particular, Bill, watching the SEC. I wasn't – I didn't have that same sort of um, – I, I don't know what the term you would use for it, but like the sort of uh, awe and amazement. In fact, I mean, sure, Darius Geist brings that. Uh, Kirk does bring that. 
Mm-hmm. But I didn't get a lot of that with defensive players. I was about you to know. say, there's not that awe-inspiring, jaw-dropping, wow defensive player in the conference this year. Or at least, I mean, maybe he'll emerge, but right. that's not a player that, that I've – I mean, Arden Key's a really good football player, but he doesn't make my jaw drop. No. He's not Clowney. He's not Bosa. He's not Garrett. You know, he's not those guys. I mean, he's he's more like a he, he's close to I mean, in terms of not like the way he plays or his body, but in terms of the impression he leaves, he's closer to Shaq Lawson. In that right, part, exactly. Ball play. But you don't think, wow, you know? Exactly. You, you know, can't. You don't have that Arden key. Your grandma would walk past and go, "Ooh, he's good." Yeah, exactly. I did get some backlash because of that, but yeah, I just well, that, that I just you know I call it the back of the conference will also probably I mean I'm used to it, man. I get so much hate mail at this point. Uh, you know, I'm just used to it, man. I'm just used to getting just people, you know, tons of hate mail. So it's all right. Yeah, I like it. It's okay. Um, but, yeah. I, ended liking, I ended up liking Sean White more than I thought I would, but I still have Austin Allen ahead of him in the conference. Uh, and you're right. I'm sure the, the numbers may not bear it out, but just when I watched the two guys, I watched them, I guess, by an equal amount, and I just came away more impressed by Austin Allen. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, um, like, I'm not saying that, you know, he has more NFL potential because of this, I'm just as a college quarterback. Um, this is the better. thing, Bill. Yeah, right. You know, people talk a lot about stats, and they say that stats don't matter. It's all about wins. When actually, <laughs> the, better well, your, the better your stats are, the more wins you win. Typically, um, yeah. Even if but you're I, a bad quarterback. If you're Tim Tebow, who put up excellent stats, he went on to win national championships. He's still Tim Tebow. He still has that weird release and all that other stuff, but uh, he won national championships, you know, because he was a really productive player at the college level. Um, So, you know, sure, being translatable to the NFL, that's the real question you're asking in evaluation, but um, that's all I would really say about Sean White is that, Based on his statistics, he was the best quarterback. You know? um, the only areas where Allen was kind of, yeah, it was just his touch on interception ratio and his uh, completion percentage. Right. Which can improve. I mean, he has another year. It's not like he's doomed to not improve on these numbers, which is what I try to make clear in all the videos I ever do on prospects preseason stuff. Is they could improve on these numbers. They could come in this year, and he could be the most productive guy ever. You know, he has that opportunity. But right now, right. not so much. No. Right. And you know, all those people that assume improvement, which there's a lot of that that goes on in the draft Twitter or evaluation or whatever you want to call it community, is, you know, well, he'll be better this year because he'll be better. Yeah. And that's certainly possible. Possible. 
but I don't know. I'm the kind of guy, I don't like to, I haven't done a ton of the sort of looking at how productive they were at a certain age. Like, cause there's people who did that with Josh Gordon. Josh Gordon was a guy that um, wasn't that productive in terms of market share, but because he was 18 years old or whatever, when he produced that way, that's really impressive for an 18 year old or something like that. And extrapolating that. And I don't know. I just, have the sort of feeling of you either put up the production or you don't, you know, you either reach that level of stuff in a three year span or you don't. And that's just the way it is. Like, I don't know. Like, sure. You should expect improvement with everybody, but you do need to have some proof, you know, some level of facts, I guess is all I'm trying to say instead of just looking at a guy and going, oh, he did it at 19, so he's going to do this at 21, because every we see this all the time. And we with State, Christian, Christian Hackenberg, right? Was a guy, we saw him as a freshman, we were like, oh, he's amazing. He's the next Andrew Luck. It didn't really get better. You know, it actually got worse. Um, so, you know, I just feel like you have to wait and see with guys um, always until they prove it. Right. I'm with you. Okay, so those are your top ten. Uh, give me sort of a, a a couple of players you think are the most underrated, and a couple of players in the conference have been the most overrated. Huh, underrated. Well, I, I I can go through over. I think okay, Callaway. Uh-huh. Yeah, Callaway, Callaway to me is overrated. I'm with you on that. Yeah. He's not super overrated, but he is overrated. Um, I think Deron Payne is overrated, which people may fight me on, but Dwayne The Rock Johnson is more productive than him. Um, who else? I think it's kind of overrated. Um, I think Jarrett Stidham is kind of overrated. Just because a guy hasn't done anything at all, and people are – some people have Jared Sinem as, like, a top-five quarterback. Right. And he hasn't even had to see – it's like a Jeremy Johnson situation all over again. Years ago in a different offense. Right, I got it. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, which I, I think is kind of crazy. In terms of him, where's some other overrated people in the conference? I think that's really, as far as overrated guys, that's really about it. Um, Or Calvin Ridley might be overrated, too. I think I already mentioned him. Yeah. So, Ridley would definitely be overrated just because he's... So, Calvin Ridley, uh, you said Gerald Payne. Right. Tim. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Callaway. So, yeah, that was the first one you said. Yeah, Ridley is overrated just because he's a number one wide receiver on a lot of people's. Um, Which is crazy tough, right? I mean, fours. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I'm asking this completely seriously. What is he better at than Dante Pettis? Uh, plays at Alabama. Good point. He does have that going for him. That's the big thing. So, 
there really isn't that big of a difference. I don't know. Maybe it's just because you don't watch enough wide receivers. I mean, or you're one of those people that – that's the thing, too, that people don't realize. Some of these guys that talk about Calvin Ridley are guys that only watch the SEC, which I get it. You cover the SEC. A lot of these guys are, you know, they're SEC beat writers. So you really just cover the SEC, and that's it. And that is a job in itself, you know, watching all the guys in the SEC. But the problem with that is that's your only vision is you're comparing it to all the guys in the SEC. You're not seeing what's happening in the Mount West Conference. You're not seeing what's happening at, like, SMU, you know. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know. But yeah, so that, that's the only thing I would say in terms of that. In terms of underrated, I mean, realistically, I, I do – I think Sean White's underrated. I know – we already went through this, but I just think he is, um, even though he's not the starter. Absolutely. I mean, some people don't have him in their top 25 quarterbacks. You know, he's not even on the right. list. But yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But he should be somewhere. I mean, maybe not. Maybe top 25. I mean, I could see him sneaking in there in top 25. Um, in terms of, of course, I value things differently than everybody else, but I just think efficiency-wise, and you know, yeah, he's a bit of a game manager, but you know, you win games as a game manager. I mean, that's the point, I guess. Um, I think another Carlton Davis too, I think, is a bit underrated at the cornerback position because I haven't really heard much hype with him. You know, most of the talk at cornerbacks been like the Florida State corner. Uh, Louisville, uh, you know, Jari, Alexander, and those guys. So I would say he's, Carlton Davis is a little bit underrated. I think Malcolm Parrish at Georgia is a little underrated too. He's a cornerback at Georgia. Jordan Jones at Kentucky I think is underrated because he plays at Kentucky and he was the most productive linebacker in the SEC <laughs> and nobody talks about him. If Jordan Jones did what he did at Alabama, people would be talking about him. Oh, oh my God. Shane Alexander would have a tattoo of him on his shoulder. Yep, pretty much. Um, I mean, is there any other underrated? Yeah, I think that's, as far as underrated guys, that that would be the most sort of thing. Because, like, Christian Kirk isn't really underrated. He's not overrated. He just isn't, you know, under. Like, people don't have him as, like, a top 20. Well, some people do. But those are the flat earthers, you know, those types of people. Got it. Uh, so is there anything else you sort of like to say on the sort of last words on the SEC? Uh, anything you think people maybe aren't expecting or don't understand or might not be aware of that you think it might be good to, to make them aware of regarding this conference? Oh, well, I think you will be shocked at how mysterious the SEC will be this year. Like, it's really hard for me to say you should be aware of this because this is one of the years in the SEC where I really don't know what's going to happen um, on a lot of these teams, like Tennessee, Georgia, uh, you know, Mississippi, Arkansas. Like, there are a lot of teams that are really teetering on 500 to 
potentially winning their conference, you know. Um, but based on last year and based on the guys that are coming in this year, it's still a, a big question mark to me in terms of what will happen. So that's something I really say about the SEC is it's, it's very mysterious. There's not a lot of established teams. It's not a lot of established coaches. It's just all over the place right now um, with a lot of these teams. You know, none of these teams, most of the coaches are on the hot seat or hot or have a hot-ish seat, you know. So there's a lot of that, too. So that, that kind of clouds my sort of judgment on the conference because of all the turmoil, I guess, with some of these teams. Yeah, yeah that is interesting. I mean, so as you said, the SEC is not back. That's what you sort of established. For me, well, again, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, the thing that stood out to me, other than the you know evergreen tweet about quarterback and challenge, and there's still a couple of really good running backs, but a lot of the traditional SEC dominating positions, left tackle, defensive end, you know, pass rusher type, uh, cover corners. There are some of those guys in this draft. Don't get me wrong, but I, I mean, it's uh, SEC, but it wasn't. Like last year, year before last, year before last, year before last, year before last. I mean, it wasn't like 2010 or 11 or 12. I mean, I don't see. I don't see a Rolando McClain. I don't see. Nope. You know, um, I don't see a Justin Houston. Collins, right? Oh, I don't. I definitely don't see a Justin Houston. <laughs> or as you said, uh, you Patrick know, Peterson. Garrett. I sure don't see a Patrick. I haven't seen a Patrick Peterson since Patrick Peterson, but I'll be Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Those are two guys who I haven't seen when life and Tennessee left their respective institutions. But, yeah, definitely don't see those guys. I mean, even guys I was not quite as hot on, like Dante Hightower, I don't see him either. Nope. So I was a little taken aback by how – Impressed, I wasn't frankly with most of it. Uh-huh. I see, I see people trying to sell themselves on part-time defensive linemen at Alabama, guys that play 31 snaps a game on average. <laughs> I try to talk themselves into these guys, like, "Well, look at this thing he did here, completely fresh against this tired, smaller offensive guard." And I mean, that's not something you could discard. I mean, if he knows how to do something, he knows how to do something. There's a skill set he picked up. Something's wrong. But if, if that, but if you want me, if you want to get me excited, show me him doing that same thing consistently and get better players. Yeah. I mean, again, show me that you're reliable and you're a productive player. You know, like, you go to the Hall of Fame because you do these things consistently over and over and over again. You know, you you do that same sort of thing 400 times against some of the best players ever. You know, people don't go to the Hall of Fame because they had one cool play in a Super Bowl, you know. Um, at least I can't think of any Hall of Famers, you know, that were just one great play in the Super Bowl, Hall of Fame. Like, that just isn't how it works. A lot of bitter, a lot of bitter Cowboys fans say that Super Bowl 10 put in the Hall of Fame. Uh, it, it's a bit of hyperbole. He did have an extraordinarily good game against a very good defense and yeah. made – I mean, once again, people talk about Odell Beckham Jr. 
and no offense to Odell Beckham Jr., but go back and look at that sideline catch that he makes over Charlie Waters in Super Bowl Ten, and tell me that that's not as impressive as anything you've ever right. seen Odell Beckham Jr. do. But yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that Lin Swan, I mean, sure, he had great Super Bowl performances. He was also a pretty productive player, too, or very productive, you know, very productive player. But, like, I'm not saying, really saying that. I'm just saying that, you know, it's like with you know, people talk about pressure. And I, I always say the same thing over and over again. People put you in the Hall of Fame because you got sacks, not because you got a lot of pressures. You know? Correct. Like, you're going in the Hall of Fame. Michael Strahan's getting in there. You know, all those guys are getting in there. Strahan was being introduced and say, oh, and he got blah, blah, blah pressures in his career. Like, never did I hear that come up once. Nobody cares. Nobody cares about pressures, you know? And this whole mentality of, I don't know, and there's all this sort of thing of, like, well, pressures will eventually turn into that until that's all reverted, you know, like, when is his pressure tester in fact? Like, you know, I've been, Jim, hold on to your nickels because eventually those nickels will be quartered. Exactly. Like, sometimes guys just get a lot of pressure and they're not really the best back guys. So, um, yeah, I just think it's that sort of mentality that I don't I, I don't get. I mean, I understand all of them rotates as guys. I understand that they definitely show these plays where they do these cool things, but do that consistently for an entire season and then get back to me. Because if you don't, I mean, that's, I don't understand why people don't understand that. Um, you, it, you Great. And maybe it's because they don't have the perspective of production, but great NFL like, players, you know, produce, you know, and the ones who don't just usually if they're really athletic, yeah, they do become, like Paul Soliali or somebody like that, you know. But those guys aren't Hall of Famers. I didn't know you were talking about that. Okay, I'm wrong. I'll take it. Okay. Hold on. Oh, I told you hours, but I didn't want to. Okay, okay. So, I guess to sort of chat things off, uh, SEC not back. Uh, down at certain sort of SEC-esque positions. Alabama still Alabama, but the rest of the SEC may not be the rest of the SEC that we've been used to. I mean, we'll see what LSU is, and we'll see what Texas a and is. And like I said, Florida is the other team I feel kind of good about. Am I wrong, Jim? Am I, am I, am I maybe fooling myself and feeling pretty good about Florida? I mean, it depends on what the quarterback situation. I mean, the quarterback position is fixed. Right, you know, good to go. If the quarterback position ain't fixed, run and hide. <laughs> you know, like that. Yeah. 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 Another one of those, once again, sort of pinned tweet, evergreen tweet, whatever you want to call it, kind of situations, I guess. Okay. Uh, Jim, tell people what you've been working on, what you've been up to, what they can expect from you, uh, what kind of special genetics projects you've been doing. Well, uh, I've been doing a lot of NFL Stuff, obviously, on common man football, doing quarterback profiles on guys. Recently did one on Dak Prescott because there's a lot of um, – I think I might have found the key to – you know, because people talk about Nick Foles 
uh, or RG3 and all this other sort of stuff. And then I started looking at third down conversion percentages and stuff like that. I think that was kind of the key to some of this because third down conversions are actually really important in terms of uh, uh, winning um, too. At least the elite guys are really good in terms of it. So I've been just getting more into like NFL sort of stat stuff and I've been doing a lot of that stuff on there. Um, and so far it's just been doing a lot of, you know, people ask me questions or they, at least they go, Hey, do you saw a video on Josh Gordon and do a video on this guy. So and doing that kind of thing. So some of that, some of that stuff will be coming on there as well in terms of like Josh Gordon, um, and a few other players, but, um, but yeah, just doing a lot of that stuff and just waiting on the season to start, you know, we're about two months away. So from football actually becoming a real thing again. So Yeah. It's, it's exciting. So we will we're done with the power five. We're gonna move now into the Mac and the uh you know uh Mountain West and the Sun Belt and the uh Conference USA. I guess it'd be Conference USA first, then Mac, then the uh Mountain West and Sun Belt. And then we'll have a combined show for F, C, S, and D2. And depending upon, we may even try to get to D3 and uh, NAIA, you know, maybe all in one. But we might break that up into two depending upon what it looks like in terms of the number of prospects that might actually be there to discuss. And then by that point, as you said, they'll be actually playing real football. Well, that's exciting in, in a bunch of ways. Uh, so, Jim, once again, it's exciting. Um, tell people where they can find your work and follow you, sir. Sure. Uh, you can uh, find my work at uh, draftcobernetwordpress.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Geometrics. And you can also check out the Common Man Football channel on YouTube. And, yeah, so those are all the places you can check out my stuff. Yes. And that's, that's all I cannot urge people, particularly if you're serious about about this game at all, I cannot urge you strongly enough to check out the amazing work, uh, the amazing work that Jim's been doing. And as I mentioned, uh, he's done hours and hours of work, uh, not hours now, years and years, really, of work. Uh, and it takes hours sometimes just to sort through it all. But like, like I said, I can't urge people enough to uh, to dig into it and enjoy it if this is what you're into. Uh, once again, Jim, as always, I thank you for your time, for your talent, for your uh, you know, for your attention. Uh, it has been a real adventure, you know, getting to sort of familiarize myself with the wild and wonderful world of metrics through your eyes and through your, like I said, through your work. The the thing amongst the things that I'll be interested to see play out, once again, as you said, of the, what happens with the quarterback positions at some of the SEC schools that we just went through, I'll be interested to see if there are some guys that emerge, you know, because people sort of, like I said, assume certain guys are going to get better automatically, but some of those guys end up being passed up by other players uh, who do improve. That's <laughs> You know, that does sometimes happen as well, so I want to see what happens in terms of that. And uh, I guess the last thing that I'll be looking to see is, as I said, uh, 
obviously Arden Key is someone people talk about, but will there be another guy uh, who will end up being a double-digit back type guy who will put his name in sort of contention for, you know, the first round and maybe even the top half of the first round since people, you know, get all excited if an SEC guy puts up any kind of production as a sack guy. Those guys, you know, do move up and move up very quickly in people's rankings. So that's the other thing I'll have my eye on. The thing I'm working on now is that it's of an all-time, all-underappreciated team, which I should be finished by uh, sometime this Sunday afternoon. It will probably appear Monday, Tuesday-ish at the latest, I would imagine, on Nuts and Bolt Sports. And once again, Jim, I hope you have a great rest of your evening. Uh, we got through a few little issues to get to this point, but uh, as always, it is a pleasure and honor and privilege. Have a great rest of your night, sir. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.